Hello Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 52 and in this edition we play out stories of the past, both new and familiar, in our retrospective look at Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles. My name is Sai and joining me on the panel this week, taking a wrong turn down memory card lane and finding himself in Memories of a Lost City from Serial Box 64, it's Jordan Subroom. Hello. It's a game of oblivion. No, wait, wrong franchise. Put down that bow and pick up that Wii remote. It's Moist Owlet, a.k.a. James. Hello. Hunters to the left of me, liquors to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with the pipe-throwing champion of 1998. It's fire button Steve Valance. <laughs> no, that's a callback. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Pod for a full list and the chance to create bonus First Aid Spray content. Uh, so Patreon exclusive. There's actually been multiple Patreon exclusives dropping the last few weeks. Uh, first of all, uh, Steve, Kelsey and Sherwin sat down to record a audio commentary for Welcome to Raccoon City, which is not something that exists on the DVDs or with the uh, digital release, but there is now a first aid spray Welcome to Raccoon City commentary if you are interested. It's currently uh, exclusive to the tyrant, uh, sorry, the mastermind level of our patrons only. Uh, we may release it down the line, but we're not quite sure yet. But uh, if you feel like re-watching that film and you want to hear Steve, Kelsey and Sherwin's opinions as it goes... Uh, you can play it alongside your copy and it should sync up perfectly. Uh, we've also dropped a new bonus episode of the podcast focusing on Alien Isolation. Two hours of uh, flapping our gums about this classic, modern, well, you might call it a survival horror. One of us kind of with caveats, but uh, it was a good time indeed. And the latest episode of Memory Card Lane is Pilot Wings for the Super Nintendo and that is also Patreon exclusive for Masterminds. Meanwhile, taking a slight detour on memory card lane, the uh, Sony's E3 disaster episode is now out publicly for everyone to enjoy. Steve and Jordan broke down Sony's most infamous uh, E3 conference. Uh, You know the one. Uh, Giant enemy crab, etc. And also, publicly, we dropped Now That's What I Call Survival Horror for Remake 2, which is my top 10 tracks from that soundtrack. I think that's everything from us at the moment. Steve, would you like to take us into the Biohazard News? Oh boy, do do we have some news for you guys. So our first piece of news is that there have been two first look trailers for the upcoming Resident Evil series on Netflix coming July 14th. So we we dropped a bit of a short breakdown and reaction uh, from James. So if you didn't check that one out, actually, speaking of housekeeping, do go check that out. Uh, A little trawl through the first trailer as it happened uh, before the second trailer dropped. Um, Yeah, who who wants to start? Steve, what did you think of the our first look at the Netflix Resident Evil series? Uh, Where's your hype level at for it now? Uh, you, you know, this is this is going to sound crazy, but I feel like it could be enjoyable enough. Like, and, and this is coming from someone off the back of Welcome to Raccoon City and Infinite Darkness. 
I distinctly remember at some point many moons a bit, many moons ago when we were talking about the prospects of these three series that, that there is the, the crazy the crazy one with the Wesker twins will somehow become the shining star of the darkness. I don't know if it's going to be great, but it certainly looks like it could be enjoyable. And for for people like going, oh, canon, it's going to be canon, and like it's just a TV show. <laughs> it's it's not canon until Capcom says it is. Just think of it as just another spin-off. It's as canon as Alice was in the movies. They're not canon to the games, are they? Mm. Calm. Mm. Plus, Lance Reddick looks like it's going to be fun and looks like it's got the sadistic glee to it. I'll take right. it. I don't like that CGI raccoon, though. <laughs> so, for full context, for people who may or may not be aware, apparently, yes, the show is going to be canon to the games in the sense that it's going to take place after all of the games have. Um, so there's two storylines at different periods sort of set in the future after the video games so it claims um, I'm inclined to agree with you I don't think that that's uh, remotely possible in any way but uh, it's a nice selling point and if it doesn't work out then we can just disregard that and it isn't canon anymore you know like Capcom do with the canon all the time where it's like everything's canon that's not possible uh, but okay sure <laughs> it's kind of like Record City. I, uh, you know, which I assume we're covering later this year. Um, that's that wasn't canon. It never was canon. Never will be canon. The outfits look cool though. Right, and some people take little bits of you know additional lore and go, yeah, do you know what? I'll take this. That fits, here. yeah, yeah. You know, so I don't know. I'm I'm, op- I'm open to it. I'm the canon part. I'm also I am kind of like eh, about, but it isn't going to put me off from the quality of the show. Which, uh, yeah, it looks looks better than I expected. The tone is different to what I expected which is nice um, and maybe weird hologram raccoon things aside generally the monster CGI looks pretty good Jordan have you seen the trailers for these yet? Uh, yeah I've seen both I mean I think from like a zombie perspective it looks fine you could probably sit down and not really have any kind of connection with the games at all and still be able to enjoy it in fact, mm. it kind of feels mostly divorced from like the usual sort of imagery of classic RE, for better or worse. And, I mean, it could offer some new exploration of Wesker as a character, and having an actor like Lance Reddick, who's, you know, excellent, is a good channel for that, really. But, you know, my hopes aren't high, because Resident Evil adaptations, uh, even well-intentioned, struggle to clear the bar, and that bar isn't exactly high. Right. So, uh, will I watch it? Probably not, or at least not right away. But I, I don't hate it. I know a lot of the internet is very vocal about uh, the first two trailers, and I just I don't have the energy for that kind of stuff, really. Right. If you are bothered about that kind of stuff, like, all I can say is that... Don't worry, they will make more. And this is Resident <laughs> Evil. They will always make more. Whether it will be good or bad, who's to say? But it, they will always make more. I mean, I don't begrudge Netflix for sort of taking liberties with it. Mm. Which, you know, they sort of are. Because if you look at something like the Andersonverse, that was a billion dollar franchise, effectively. Right. And that is about nine hours of non-stop liberty taking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, evidently Capcom is not that precious about adaptations anymore, or, mm. or ever were. And you could argue they have no reason to be. But if people want a well-funded and lore-accurate live-action depiction of one game's events, Capcom is the person 
Capcom is the uh, company that you need to convince. Right. And it's hard to convince when a general audience will still generally take to a lot of these works. Mm. Uh, James, you seem pretty positive about it online. How are you feeling at the moment about uh, Netflix Resident Evil? None of the games are canon. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Only the show. I uh no no nothing is canon. Like mm. like like you know they can say it's canon, right? But you 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 can play each game to each game. Like there's a there's definitely beats to go by. Mm. I think that's the that's the important thing to focus on, especially people who are um getting angry on the internet. Right? There are beats that Resident Evil follows and there are characters that Resident Evil follows. And as long as you have some kind of origin to these characters that is a basis in the games. Um you know, which is why the first Resident Evil was okay and like the second one was the best one like the movies i mean with uh with alice and that because they kept to the basis and the beats of the original game right and they appear to be doing that with this tv series as well right so people would get like really into the canon is like well you can pick apart the canon you know i say with quotation marks right because i think that that word is like thrown around like too much, especially in the RE community, because it's very easy to shoot down, like any <laughs> canon, you know. Um, yeah, but it's it's more on, on an individual basis as well. Like you can go back and look at all the files and stuff, and like you know that's really interesting. Like in going through the timeline and stuff, right? But when you look at it from an expanded point of view, none of it is canon, um, really. <laughs> it's just it's just based on beats of what Resident Evil is, right? Um, uh, and this TV series has spiders, which means it gets an instant three stars from me. <laughs> yeah, what we've seen so far of the sort of BOWs, uh, not just the way they look, but the variety that they've picked out and stuff they've shown is really cool so far. Like, So that that's nice to see, because I know there was stuff that people wanted to see um, from Welcome to Raccoon City and stuff that's never been done before, and we're getting some of that. So that's super neat. So at, yeah. the, at least there's that, you know... <laughs> My issues with it, whatever, canon-related, i.e., isn't it weird how Umbrella is suddenly back and everyone's just okay with it, and also now they're concentrating on the T-virus, even though, you know, that that is not important in the terms of, like, bioterrorism anymore. It's a bit outdated. But if it's a big, dumb series about zombies and giant spiders, then I'm happy. <laughs> Someone who is tired of CGI lickers, the fact that they actually made one now go, oh, that looks really good. You know, that's... Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so um, our next news story is that there is a second round of Dead by Daylight Resident Evil crossover DLC coming entitled Project W. So, um, getting it out of the way first, we won't be talking about what's part of that uh, event. It's not been announced, but there have been leaks. Uh, so let's not talk about what that may potentially entail. But in terms of just the fact that there is something coming and it's called Project W, uh, I mean... Some assumptions can be made, um, and that's kind of cool, I guess. I thought that the trailer was a really weird choice. Steve, did you not think it felt like they were about to announce, like, Fabron or something? Because mm. it felt like a big old resistance nod, which is really weird, because in terms of, like, general gaming public knowledge and even 5v1 gamers knowledge, I don't think resistance is really high up the pecking order, is it? So, in 
it is uh, resistance was at least it, it was known by you know your big dead by daylight streamers and types you know community leaders but other than that I, mean, I guess it did kind of a long time yeah yeah uh, yeah um but yeah it was definitely it felt like a nod uh, if it, and it's, it's gonna be interesting if it's going to play like that if they're going to just bootleg some resistance stuff in as having someone control the cameras that way i don't think the gameplay of dbd quite accommodates for it though i don't think so but it'd be interesting Mm, yeah, uh, with a name like Project W, it's it's implying things, and I wonder how they're going to make it where this character isn't going to be insufferably chatty, which doesn't really go with the rest of the killers. If it is one of the Project W candidates we know about in the series, it could be an entirely original character for the game crossover. Oh, interesting, interesting theory. Yeah, it's a good point actually. Um, yeah. Um, James, would this interest you to pick up DBD again? I don't know if you've been playing it all recently, but uh, more Resident Evil content, would that get you back online for a little bit? There's no Xenomorphs, I... I know, right? It's top so, of my wish list as well. Um, well, uh, there are some things that have been said about it that have got me excited. I'm just, just going to put it that way. <laughs> like, I, might, I, might, I might dip in again, but to be honest, I got a little bit fed up with DBD. Um, right. I was constantly being trolled in that game, so... <laughs> Like it was starting to get like I play League of Legends, okay? I played League of Legends for twelve years, right? And like for me to get fed up with the game for his trolling after playing that game for twelve years, yeah, it took a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm I, I, I might go back into it if uh, all the rumors are true and stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, I I'm not crazy excited about it. But it's not on my top list of games to play. Right, I'm a, yeah, I'm in the same camp. I mean, it, I, it's cool that it's a thing. I think it's possibly the first series so far to get like two whole packs. I could be wrong on that. I'm certainly not a big DVD, uh, you know, knowledge person. That's good English. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to take a look at it. But I don't think I'd be sinking any money on it because the game's fun to play with friends. I don't necessarily enjoy it with randoms, and I'm not paying out for DLC for a game that I'm barely going to play. Which also then locks a bunch of costumes behind sort of in-game currency, like the last one did, which was uh, obviously a big issue that we all had with the original DVD stuff. Is that it's like, yeah, it's Leon and Jill, but you, and you can play as Chris and Claire if you save up all these ridiculous in-game currencies, which is kind of lame. Um, Jordan, I don't know if you've played Dead by Daylight at all. Would you be interested in this uh, little Resi chapter part two? Quite possibly, but I've never played Dead by Daylight, so I don't really have that much to add to this, uh, apart from I'll probably give more comments once actual sort of gameplay drops and right, see sure. exactly what they're going for with this whole Project W stuff. Yeah, it's nice for them to tease it so that we can talk about it now and then talk about it again later when they actually show it. That's nice of them. <laughs> they, ju- they just really like the news round on this show. <laughs> <and laughs> they want to give content for it. Appreciate it, guys. Okay, well, with that out of the way, let's move into our main subject for this episode, which is Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles. And now, reading the file, Chief's Diary from Resident Evil 2 1998, in character as Chief Brian Irons, Zach the Business Bishop, who you can follow on Twitter at Momentum219. September 23rd. It's all over. Those imbeciles from Umbrella have finally done it. Despite all their promises, they've ruined my town. 
Soon, the streets will be infested with zombies. I'm beginning to think that I may even be infected myself. I'll kill everyone in town if this turns out to be true. September 24th. I was successful in spreading confusion among the police as planned. I've made sure that no one from the outside will come to help. With the delays in police actions, no one will have the chance to escape my city alive. I've seen to it personally that all escape routes from the inside of the precinct have been cut off as well. There are several survivors still attempting to escape through the lower levels, but I'll make sure no one gets out. September 26th. I've had a change of heart about the remaining survivors inside the precinct. I've decided to hunt them down myself. I shot Ed in the back through the heart less than an hour ago. I watched him writhe in pain upon the floor in a pool of his own blood. The expression on his face was positively exquisite. He died with his eyes wide open, staring up at me. It was beautiful. I wonder if the mayor's daughter is still alive. I let her escape so I could enjoy hunting her down later. I'm going to enjoy my new trophy. Yes, frozen forever in the pose I choose to give her. Okay, it's Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles. Uh, we, the four of us, actually covered The Umbrella Chronicles uh, quite a few months ago now. So it made sense to follow up in somewhat short order and talk about the sequel, the second uh, Chronicles game, the second rail shooter arcade style, but in the home. Uh, just like Umbrella Chronicles, this released on Wii and uh, was later ported over to PlayStation consoles so that you could use uh, your move controls uh, as part of the Chronicles collection. Um, this game released in 2009. Um, I suppose if we're just talking about it as a concept before we start breaking it down. Uh, much like the original Umbrella Chronicles, it's retellings of previous games in the series. In this uh, particular instance, we get Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil Code Veronica, and these are tied together with an original story that runs through the game, uh, kind of kicks things off, and then sort of breaks things up in the middle, and then comes back sort of full force at the end of the game to tie up, and it's all meant to be kind of like a... Leon sort of narrates the game, so he kind of brings us through his experiences with Resident Evil 2, and the Veronica, the T-Veronica virus is pretty integral to the story of the Operation Javier storyline, which is the new story, so that's why Code Veronica is packaged in as well. That's the justification, anyway. Uh, but it, basically, I think it's just these are the two games that really kind of missed out on being in Umbrella Chronicles. And uh, also, the game features Krauser as a playable character uh, in an effort to tie together a bunch of stuff uh, from Resident Evil 4 into the sort of wider plotline in the same way that Resident Evil 5 did as well. Uh, so, first experiences with Dark Side Chronicles. Um, James, obviously, this is, I assume, your first time playing Dark Side Chronicles? Yep, I uh, went into it completely blind, knew nothing about it. Uh, this is my first experience, yeah. Cool. Um, Jordan, did you ever play Dark Side Chronicles before now? 
Uh, no, actually, I, I played Umbrella Chronicles, obviously, when it came out, mm. and then I completely missed this for some reason, and I don't know if that was more of a mark on Umbrella Chronicles than it was on Darkseid Chronicles, but, you know, we'll get into that. Right, that's fair. Uh, Steve, what are your early memories of Darkseid Chronicles? I remember picking it up at launch. I remember getting really irate at certain bosses and blurry shaky cam, and then I beat it and never played it again until this podcast. <laughs> uh, that's a, yeah. that may be a damning statement I don't know but yeah I do remember playing it I remember going through it and getting um, unique experiences yes yeah <laughs> um, I, I I wonder and uh, Jordan maybe you're right somewhat in the fact that because I remember playing Umbrella Chronicles and being really excited and being really into it when it came out and this game came almost literally two years later um, and I don't know. I just never. I've never finished it. I still haven't actually finished it. Even on this playthrough, I couldn't get myself through it. And we'll talk about why when we get there. Um, yeah, I think I've, I've never finished it, and I don't know if some of that is slightly because I was like, nah, it's just more of the same, or if it's some other issues that we'll get into. I'm gonna say I, I distinctly remember being excited, uh, you know, in the run-up with other media releases and hype, putting on stuff like uh, explaining how RE2 was going to be in it and RECV was going to be in it. I yeah. just don't even remember looking forward to that, but the the, the game it's, but itself had a unique experience with me. Mm. Me too, yeah. I definitely picked it up pretty early on because I was excited about the fact that Resident Evil 2, which felt like a massive omission, as well as Code Veronica being packaged in this game, I was uh, yeah pretty, pretty excited to do that. And yeah, some of the marketing was pretty good. We'll probably talk about it more, but just sort of like the visual... Sort of redesigns of the characters and stuff look really nice. So I remember being super into it, but uh, just kind of bouncing off it pretty quickly, I suppose. Uh, okay, in that case, let's talk about the gameplay. Um, you know, the base concept is very similar to Umbrella Chronicles. It is your standard rail shooter. So if you've played or are aware of Umbrella Chronicles, pretty much I think everything is near enough the same. Actually, this time I only played with the Wii remote. I didn't play with the nunchuck. So I assume you can kind of... Uh, peek around sort of the corners of the screen a little bit by moving the thumbstick but I don't actually know that for sure nope you can't okay interesting um uh it does have in that sense then maybe I guess the best place to start is that it it does feel a bit more restrictive in that way it does feel a lot more slowed down you know and a bit more elongated in its pacing and it feels a bit more uh, I suppose if you wanted to pick a more positive word deliberate but uh yeah, it moves around, the game in general moves around quite slowly. I think it's trying to amp up the horror, but uh, uh, that's definitely something that I realised compared to Umbrella Chronicles that I didn't enjoy uh, nearly as much. It wasn't nearly as fast-paced. James, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, it is slower. And also, there, I would I would say the game, like, deliberate is a good word. Another uh, thing I was thinking about was... It's more contained in terms yeah. of its gameplay. Like, I'm going to talk a bit late. Well, in the gameplay. I think we're in the gameplay section now. But, well, yeah, we are. <laughs> um, um, so, it even comes that the, the containment aspect of the game even comes down to, like, the weapons and stuff, which you can't cancel animations on. And I think the biggest, like, like, the biggest annoyance for me was, like, the shotgun. Uh, everyone in the game <laughs> knows that in the franchise, all right, shotguns is the thing you want, and it's the thing that makes things go boom, and it feels good, right? And you know, Resident Evils have always had like some kind of 
cancel animation for the shotgun as you're putting in slugs or whatever, right? But this game doesn't, right? In fact, it's a detriment, <laughs> before I go into anything else about the game, and some of the positives, because I do have positives, <clears throat> but there is no point in putting the capacity up for the shotgun. It's actually a disadvantage to do that. The because the animation is so long. And you cannot change it. Mm. Because it's already at max, apparently, with the, with, the, with the shotgun, right? So you're sitting there, you know, you, you have like five, five or six slugs when you first first uh, begin it. And sometimes, like in certain sections, you're up against seven, eight, you know, zombies. And of course, you're going to miss sometimes, right? Because the game wants you to, apparently, because you, sat, you feel like you're on a ship in the middle of the North Sea. You know, it's yeah. The, I'm I'm not going to go too much into the motion because, like, I I know you guys have so much to say about it. Um, but I did play this game a lot this week. <laughs> um, I basically aced it by keeping the. <laughs> this might be a bit of a hack. I don't know, but I aced the game by keeping the reticule. I played with a Wemo and Nunchuck um, just off center and to the north um, of my screen, and basically I just kept on shooting. <laughs> right, because I was gonna, because the game has no punishment for having bad accuracy, mm. right? And I just fired away with my handgun because I had infinite ammo. Um, yeah, so I just, you know, I was constantly getting headshots. I was constantly, you know, and again, even though the game has that really wild um, motion, it seems to be based like each shot. Every time it's fixed to fixes to something, it's always off center north, like. So you're always going to hit something, right? And so with the handgun, just maxed out the handgun and then destroyed everything. Because the handgun, I don't know if you guys knew, but when you fully upgrade its power, it has the same power as a shotgun unupgraded, right? And then when you put up the rate of fire, it just does it just deep out DPSs anything else in the game. I like it's, how we're like five minutes into this and we got like moist outlets pro tips. <laughs> I know, right? It's just like, but you know, if you want to play it, I mean, I did have fun with it. I just want to put that, like, I did have fun mm -hmm. with it, right? I don't get motion sickness, right, uh, in, in video games, right? So, but it was very annoying mm -hmm. to have to fight the game sometimes. I, like, yeah, I know what you're saying about the shotgun. I feel like 50% of the damage I took in my playthrough is because I was reloading the damn shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> so it's an interesting, I hadn't really thought about it, but when you come at that as sort of like your first point, uh, you're right, my... My approach was max out the handgun because it's the infant ammo sidearm. You're going to be using it all the time, um, and then fall as, as you know, fall back on the shotgun is kind of like your main boss killer and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's an issue in that sense <laughs> for certain. For certain. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if it was my old Wiimote as well, but I was really struggling to change weapons as well. It didn't help. <laughs> so the so the nunchuck, by the way, that is the um, it, it's basically an add-on because it. The analog stick is what um, changes your weapons. Oh, okay, there you go. It's on, it's on like a radial um, mm. thing, and it's okay. Like I was expecting to have to do a little bit of peeking and stuff, but nope. And that would have been really, really useful if I could do that. Yeah, um, yeah but especially because because <clears throat> my next point was about kind of the the destructibles in the game mm. as you're going through, like Umbrella Chronicles. Literally, like anything that shines. Like is something that you can, you it can even need to shine most of the time. <laughs> exactly, like you can destroy it, and you have a chance of getting gold, mm. right? But in this game, it's really inconsistent with yeah. what you can shoot and what you can't. Like there are lights 
like lights is the big thing in these games. Like there are lights in one level that you can shoot, and then the exact same lights in the next step in the next stage, right? That you can't. Yeah. And same goes for like all the other like there's other destructibles in the game that are like that. Like there's a level in the lab where there's a bunch of side panels that you can shoot, and then you come across them in the next level and you just can't shoot them anymore. It's like well that's really inconsistent gameplay. Like, you know, you're making me want to shoot these things, but and it's it's another reason why I like the handgun was a very good weapon because it, in this game because you are constantly shooting and you're constantly shooting at destructibles because you don't know if they're destructible or not. <laughs> um, yeah, um, to talk about a uh, one last positive, I have a lot to say about guns to be honest, but one last positive is um, there are elements of calm in this game. Um, where the motion is not like rah, all over the place, um, yeah, and it's it's particularly during its more horror focused sections. Yeah, um, like I was saying this to see when I was playing it in the in the Discord server, but torchlight was very liberally used in this game, yeah. um, and I loved that. Uh, it, it like really added to the to the horror aspect. I think there was only like one or two in the first game, but they had a bunch in this game. And every time the torchlight scenes came on. I do okay. I'm in for an easier experience because it slows down the gameplay, mm-hmm. and you, there are still those like net cracking moments where, for some reason, you just twist around for you know for whatever reason. But yeah, that's that's like I want to end on a pro because I said a lot of cons. Yeah, I'll give, give other people. <laughs> I uh, definitely agree. Um, I remember we talked about how much we disliked the Resident Evil Three adaptation in Umbrella Chronicles and how poorly it was uh, reflective of the source material but the sort of subway section with the torchlight was really cool so it is good to see that back in this game used multiple times like you say those are some of the best parts in terms of the slow parts of the game uh, that's really effective i found uh jordan what do you think of this sort of base gameplay of dark side chronicles compared to its predecessor yeah i kind of i had to hit the reset button with dark side chronicles because i was kind of I, I obviously I'd played Umbrella Chronicles and I I guess I enjoyed it for the most part. I mean, I went back to listen to our previous podcast about it and yeah, I guess I I guess I was fine with it. But actually sitting down to try and play this Dark Side Chronicles, this is the sequel to it, uh, and actually sit down with it. Originally, I had planned to actually play the PS3 version and uh, break out uh, the PlayStation Move Sharpshooter peripheral which it's not a common thing to see but it was a really nice gun attachment for the playstation move they, they put a lot of thought into it it had uh, uh digital triggers rather than sort of physical triggers hmm. and it was it was great for light gun games the only problem was that i became a bit disillusioned with this game from the off because i realized that philosophically and and technically it's not really a light gun game and playing it as one was a real detriment to me like from the off and it was really putting me off initially and uh, i had to kind of get my head around that because the problem is that especially for this era the wii remote kind of posed this new possibility that you could make a ton of different uh light gun games or games like that and what i've realized is that ultimately that is a faraway concept to what we actually got in the home experience on the wii 
And that's not a bad thing. It's just that it was it was different. Because the, the thing is, the truest light gun experiences uh, were primarily in arcades. You know, they had cabinets built for and calibrated to specific games. And the emphasis was on short burst gameplay, mm. casual accuracy. So it was more about making you feel like a badass for, you know, about 10 minutes, you know, or however much money you had at the time to go and play something, you know, like Time Crisis, you know, which is like, it's mostly uh, a game that's comprised of static gallery sequences and right. big targets and, you know, most enemies are downed in a, like a single shot. And there's a lot of visual feedback for every time that you pull the trigger. And you contrast that with the Chronicles series, even with Umbrella Chronicles, which is played in variable settings, in the home, on variable hardware, often sitting down, often with a baton controller, mm. and, you know, a baked-in dot sight for aiming. So, from the off, they're already quite different, and me holding my arm out, trying to pretend it was a gun, just wasn't working for me. The way that I would break it down is that something like Time Crisis was about reaction time. There's large hitboxes, and the necessity is to clear screens fast. But Chronicle's emphasis is more on accuracy. You know, few enemies actually go down with one hit, um, even on easy. Mm. And the game demands precision and rewards for, like, limb and object targeting. So this is more in the spirit of Resident Evil anyway, um, just not so much in the gunplay. Because at no point did I ever feel like I was holding a gun in Dark Side Chronicles. Mm. It, it more felt like a, a very deadly laser pen. Uh, you know, or some kind of presentation remote of of some sort. <laughs> so, you know, pointer controls feel just like that. They mm. they feel like a pointer. Which is kind of funny, because I played this through Dolphin, and if you actually enable mouse controls for this game, it feels eerily sort of accurate for what they were going for. Mm. In fact, it, it's, it's actually pretty damn easy if you use a mouse. So... In the end, I did play with a Wiimote, but rather than having my arm out and actually trying to pretend that I've got a gun, I just relaxed, sort of put the remote to my side, and I just started aiming as if it was more like a pointer. And I had a whole lot more fun then. Interesting. I started to get the game a bit more, and also could play for longer periods as well. Like My arm wasn't getting tired or anything like that. Mm. Once I started doing that, I started to appreciate more what the game was going for. And things like limb targeting was really satisfying. So, yeah, I just had to obviously change my mindset to get into this game. But once I did, uh, there was a lot to offer. Yeah, I, I, I did the same thing. I did the same thing, mm -hmm. actually. Yeah, I, I, I started like with my hand ahead of me, directly ahead of me. But it was started to really hurt and also didn't feel right. But then I sat back in my egg chair. <laughs> I put like cushions on me and I just kept my elbow like like hooked up my elbow up and yeah played it like that and it was way easier. Hmm, that's interesting because yeah you're right because it's it's nowhere near something like a time crisis. It's not it's not an action game in that sense. It is not like demanding fast paced reactions in that in that way and it is a not a piecemeal experience this is a full on like 8 hour 
you know, campaign, which is a long time to sort of hold your arm out and stuff like that. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the core concept of Darkside Chronicles gameplay? Okay, listeners, I need you to just do an exercise for me. I know, a bit of physical activity or listen to a podcast, but can you just gently rock your head about two to three centimetres left and right? Right? Just do that for a few seconds. Right? Try and hold a steady aim. Try and hold a steady aim with a gun while that's happening. At, the, at its most modest. Right? Um, the, the gameplay of Umbrella, uh, Umbrella Darkside Chronicles. Steve, we're playing Darkside Chronicles. We're playing Darkside Chronicles. Yeah, it's the gameplay is uh, fundamentally the same, except like my colleagues have said, the uh, the camera is no longer manipulable by you to like you know swing around and have a look for goodies like you could in the previous. Instead, you've got the ability to swap weapons on the fly and go into an inventory, which I actually do appreciate in this game because uh, the the contrast is that you had a you could find herbs and stuff like that throughout the environment in Umbrella Chronicles. In this, you can actually save them for when they're needed. Yeah, true. The, the, the downside is that the game is going to make sure you bloody need them by forcing you to take hits. Like There'll be moments of quote-unquote calm, and then all of a sudden your character has a <gasps> gasp, turn to the left, and a zombie is mid-bite animation. Unless you're ready with the shotgun there and you know to hit the left-hand side of the screen, you're taking damage. Mm. And I hate it when games force damage upon you. Now, that being said... In the moment-to-moment, when you're shooting the zombies in the BOWs, not so much the bosses, but the, the zombies in the BOWs, when the camera isn't having its J.J. Um, Abrams, Cloverfield-like levels of mania and swinging left and right, it's actually an enjoyable shooter, I find. I feel like the guns are very impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my colleagues have all talked about the, the, the greatness that is the shotgun and the, the massive drawback that is its reload, and I 100% agree. Uh, no one's talked about the bow gun, despite the fact someone's put a bow gun in a light gun game, and it has a distinct amount of delay in between firing. It feels like that's just asking for trouble. Um, and they've made crits easier, I've noticed. You know how critical hits were a big deal in Umbrella Chronicles? They are way easier to tech quote unquote hit if the camera isn't being such a much jerk to you. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I feel like the gameplay is actually really solid. I just feel like there's a lot of forced hits and the bosses. I don't know. If we, are we doing a separate bit about the bosses, or are we just... Yeah, we'll roll into that, for sure. Okay, yeah. So uh, when you're fighting regular BOWs and normal-sized enemies, it's actually not an unpleasant experience, as long as you can fight off the uh, the motion sickness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, the, 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 my main problem was, you know, I was holding it like a gun, and I wasn't particularly tired or anything, because I was doing this in I was doing this in bursts. Like, I couldn't do it in sittings. So it was like multiple, like sessions it had to be and um, therefore I wasn't really getting tired so uh, but my problem was landing hits in the first place like there are plenty of times when I was like lining up shots trying to hit and then bam the camera starts swaying again mm. oh well, I think it's swaying all the time and, and yeah my main drawback to the gameplay is that the, whoever the, whoever designed the camera for this game needs slapping upside the head like the, the, the weapon swapping is great the inventory system's great the fact that you can bank items is fighting monsters on the wholesale is good but that camera draws it so badly it makes it unpleasant, and uh, honestly, I think it was bringing out me my uh, my VR level of motion motion sickness this time. Yeah, and it goes like it flies in the face of what the main dev- design philosophy is, which is you know that it rewards accuracy. Yeah, yeah. you can't really get accuracy if you're constantly having to line up your shot like in transit. And uh, I know how they did it because they obviously they wanted this to almost be like a found footage uh, style presentation to these campaigns, which I mean you know, logically doesn't make sense unless Leon Kennedy had a camera attached to his head throughout the events of Resident Evil 2, but there Wait, you go. Wait, it's canon, he has cameras in his eyes. 
<laughs> we all have cameras in our eyes. They feed right into our brain, James. Oh, you you, you do. Uh, <laughs> but by the way, plus one for the for the bowgun, which I think might be just the most impotent weapon that I have ever used in in a game ever. It, and you get so excited when you first get it because you you get like sixty ammunition. You're like, wow, that's a lot when you're first starting out. And then I realized whenever I actually sort of broke it out to try and fight anything, uh, it just felt like I was chucking a bunch of Q-tips at the enemy um, and doing about as much damage. <laughs> I mean, that being said, though, the grenade launch is fantastic. Like yeah. that, that is some that is a proper kaboom to uh, like you I know ca- caveat in certain situations because uh, that's the boss killer right there. Uh, unfortunately, it some also. Fun puzzles my yeah. brain in that it apparently holds five shells but it's a wonder shell reload thing <laughs> and i know hey you know, don't, you got, don't look a gift horse in the mouth in this yeah, case you're gonna be a yeah, yeah. with all of them you, you gotta <laughs> accept some disbelief in these kind of things you're fighting zombie monsters and plant men uh yeah. you know <laughs> but god goodness me i don't know it just it, it was it was strange uh and the uzi was strangely not the best like it felt like it was a bit impotent in terms of damage as well unless you really specced into it I imagine then you can just spray and pray but initially it just feels like you're coughing at them at speed <laughs> oh I I like that SMG uh, killed most of the bosses for me yeah wow. yeah if you if you put up if you put up one in damage and like only one in rate of fire on that thing like it's like it's like a freaking you know like a buzzsaw it like yeah, I, I remember I was killing Birkin 3 with it, I think it was, and I actually uh, <laughs> I actually got him his health, health, health bar to a, to the threshold, uh, which is something I want to talk about with bosses, but yeah. to a threshold where uh, I had to just wait. <laughs> I had to wait yeah. for the next animation to go off um, several times because I was killing it so fast. Uh, with that thing, but there are certain enemies that are very resistant to the SMG. It's it's perhaps my favorite, other than a handgun. It's my favorite weapon in the game. Um, my worst is the stake magnum, part of Tosh. <laughs> I'll say that the, the problem with the magnum is literally you get so little ammo for it. If you miss, you really do feel like you've just like injured yourself. Uh, you know, it, it it does a hefty bit of damage if it hits a weak spot. But if you whiff, you've got like another three chances, and it's like, oh yeah, that was fun. Back to using the grenade launcher. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, it's got like, it's got like really good reload and it's got really good rate of fire, but it's damaged. Base handgun will out DPS this thing because mm. you just won't be able to hit anything, and yeah, it just doesn't have enough ammo, and yeah, it's just really bad. <laughs> yeah, and putting and putting you know most of your gold into the handgun uh, to start with, uh, it's not a bad decision because ultimately you've got. Un- unlimited ammo, at least on the difficulty that I played. Easy. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of obvious to just go with that. Like, and uh, I was quite happy because by the- by the end, like the handgun, yeah, it's it's pretty badass. And uh, once you've got capacity up, and one- once you've got stopping power and and rate of fire up, it- it's it's great. Uh, I didn't really touch most of the secondary weapons once I got to sort of like the last few Operation Javier missions because the handgun was so great mm-hmm. um so we touched on a bunch of things that I, you know we can dig into a bit more there you know um the vomit vision as i've put it down is i agree you know entirely it's 
it does not work. You know, it's it's clearly meant to challenge the gameplay ideals um, in an interesting way, but it's not interesting at all. You know, it's meant to be scary, but it's just annoying. And at times, even for someone that almost never experiences motion sickness, you know, once or twice in my life with certain VR games, it almost got there. At some points, it's just this... It, it takes you out of the game so much because you can't help but think... Leon is just standing there and just like three stooges style just shaking his head around going like what are you, what are you doing <laughs> there's two enemies standing there you're standing perfectly still but he's just frozen well not even frozen with fear he's just freaking out it, it's so obnoxious uh, you know you quickly you know that scene in the code code runner section where steve and claire are looking at that um like diorama of uh alfred meeting alexia and you have to shoot the fish and the oh yeah the, right yeah. they're even doing it then it's like <laughs> why 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 are you doing it when you're just in a Staring room by a yourselves <laughs> yeah it's super weird uh, yeah i hate it i can't believe that this was allowed um this this is my Resident Evil game that I think I need to be ported to the PC the most, just so that people can mod it and fix this game. And because this should not be a thing, it's as simple as that. It's I, such, to, I, I hate it. It's a experience ruiner. I need to doubly ask everybody: like, am I the only one who played this actually on Wii hardware, uh, not emulated or PS3? I, I'm the only- I played it on the Wii. Well, it's inside of my Wii U, so yeah, I okay. played it on you know proper hardware, as it were. Because there is there is an extra caveat to this like shaky cam uh, bullshit, um, and that is that at least on my version on the Wii, it was also blurry, like incredibly blurry, motion blur all over the shop. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And and, yeah. and by those powers combined, I am not Captain Planet. I am Captain <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, and that, it really does. I mean, it's great the gun has a laser sight built into it. You know, there's that extra emphasis on getting your accuracy in. But with that kind of thing, it's a blooming nightmare to control this thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it, yeah, motion blur and head head sway uh, did not make Steve a it's, happy bunny. Yeah, it, it's the combination of that and what you were saying earlier about how sometimes enemies will just be right on you. You know, they'll oh, yeah. be right in your vision as you turn around. So all running straight at you at ridiculous speed where you really have such a slim window of actually hitting them which is exacerbated a hundred times by the fact that I don't know what's going on inside the character's head but they've taken something clearly because it's <laughs> something's not right oh I, I know what's in their head it's a hamster ball yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> every right. Resident Evil character is in D-Lo Brown mode yeah there you go <laughs> there's a reference for you yeah it's uh, it's terrible uh, something positive for me at least I tell you what I love the roster of enemies that are in this game even if shooting them is sometimes a pain in the neck it's really cool to have such a wide variety of stuff you know of course all the stuff from RE2 that's great and all the stuff from RE2 um, CV is great that's in there you're not really missing much you know the moth and stuff and but even the return of things like the Hunter Gamma and the Plague Crawler in Operation Javier is just really cool. And why not? Because you've got those, you know, assets existing from Umbrella Chronicles and, and such. So you may as well use them. And also, as a nerd, thematically, it just makes sense because these the Hunter Gamma and the Plague Crawler are sort of notoriously for being rubbish, really. They're not very good VOWs. They've been abandoned. Umbrella didn't bother to pursue anything with them. 
So yeah, they've landed on the black market and they're super cheap. So Operation Javier, Javier just goes, these will do, monsters for my guards and they're cheap and rubbish BOWs. But it's just a good excuse to just see them one more time and be like, hey, it's that. And also there's a new BOW in there as well with the Anubis, which is nice. So uh, very much that appreciated thing. that. That thing is rough. Yeah, it's brutal sometimes. It's basically a chapter that ends with you just fighting three, and like, yeah, that's kind of like a boss fight. <laughs> and then and there's shout a boss out fight to the hunter gammer. Shout out to the hunter gammer and their uh, their just bring it animations. If they're <laughs> if they're far enough away from you, they actually put their little hands up and like, come on, come on, hit me. Yeah, they actually do. Did you right. did you guys did you guys see the ants? Yeah, that was cool I, as well. Like, the first time I played through the game, I didn't see the ants at all. And then the second time I played it, um, I saw I saw the ants. And I got... Well, actually, I got a file come up saying, you go... You, these are the blah, blah ants, because they ate the T-virus, blah, blah. I was like, wait, where, where were ants? And then I played it again, and I saw these ants. I completely missed them the first no, time. Ceilings and stuff, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, like, was that like a split root thing? Because I'm sure you like run so. into them on the CV path. Uh, mm. It's in that say- flesh, t- flesh tunnel. <laughs> oh god! Oh god! Yeah, I was uh, trying to figure out a way to call what to call that room, but I wouldn't have went there. <laughs> uh, the, the moist, fleshy cave. Uh, but now, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking of BOWs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think I said this, this a bit earlier, but the actual regular monsters were fun. I, I yeah, feel like sure. they were they were fun fights, especially the. Um, the the not Steve Burnside's the the Jabberwocks oh the Jabberwocks uh, yeah 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 they were fun uh, and obviously the Anubis I, I I appreciate the fact we got new like mid tier BOWs mm. even if they're only in this game uh, yeah and they have very interesting designs like that that Anubis thing looks like I don't know, kind of like a bat it, yeah. it's meant to be like a bat insect isn't it and it just looks so. it's, got, it's got bat DNA. And, yeah, uh, it's like malevolent beef jerky. Yeah. <laughs> the, the actual the note on that thing is disgusting. It's like they took the DNA of a bat and put it with an insect, and they just got rid of its digestive system because it didn't need it anymore. Yes. Yeah. And apparently, it's cheap. Like, <laughs> it, it's wrecking me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of getting wrecked, everyone's mentioned it, so let's talk about the boss fights then. Um, yeah, big. I found this game to be. Pretty challenging in general. The shaky vision certainly doesn't help. Sometimes it's in good ways. Other times it's in very aggravating, cheap ways. Uh, in short, f*** the bosses. Pretty much all of them. <laughs> They're pretty much all terrible, and I hate them all. Uh, Steve, would you like to continue? Uh, a great colleague of mine once said, uh, f*** the bosses. They're all terrible. Uh, but also, right, okay, I want to I just say I want to just say something. Right. All right, okay. In the previous game, Umbrella Chronicles, enemies generally, bosses had a health bar. And when you deplete this health bar, the screen would fade to white and they'd have like a death animation where they'd fall down or whatever. Uh, in, in Dark Side Chronicles, normally, like nine times out of ten, you'll deplete this health bar, the game will go f*** you, and then Birkin will hit you in the face with a pipe 15 times until you shoot him a couple more times in the head. And, uh, yeah, I apologise for the swearing, but th- these kind of segments can go f*** off. Like, really. <laughs> It is bad game design to show health bars on enemies, and if they're not going to yeah. immediately refill with a second form, and it's just a case of, yeah, you have to keep shooting them in the special weak spot and do a specifically accurate trigger state over and over and over again. It really sours the experience. Yeah. Like, and um, 
and it no, normally normally ends with like a horrible flourish and you have to get this really pinpoint accurate shot while the camera is in full on you've had 10 pints mode you know which is more than the regular swaying your head side to side two or three centimeters ladies and gentlemen that is swinging your head around like your head banging at a rock concert while trying to get a pinpoint accurate throw on a flipping bullseye it's insane uh, and this is after you deplete the health bar. It is infuriating. The music's great. The models look amazing. But the boss fights can go get in the bin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had several boss fights that I actually genuinely Googled to see if I was doing something wrong. Birkin 1 being especially uh, a bad one where I was like, oh no, I, I played on normal. I was like, am I going to have to redo the whole chapter on easy mode? Because uh, I didn't... Uh, I was like, I'm do- I must be doing something wrong. Am I going to have to replay chapters and upgrade my weapons? Maybe I need some more stopping power. I, was- I couldn't figure it out. But yeah, it's just random precision. Once the health bars just vanish, you're kind of like, well, I-, I guess I'll try shooting here or here until it stops. It's just absolute nonsense. Uh, a slight positive note to that is I'm very glad that... Something we take for granted now, I think, in games is the fact that we can just suspend and come back wherever, whenever, like all of our consoles right now are probably on power saver mode in the middle of a game and we just boot it back up and we'll be exactly where we were. Not so much the case in this era, but I am really happy that if you get infuriated with Birkin 1 and turn the console off, once you turn it back on, you can literally conclude from that checkpoint. So checkpoints save over once the console's been turned off. So I was like, oh, that's good. At least I don't have to play the whole chapter because I definitely did that. But yeah, that's like one of the first bosses. They're not all terrible, but that kind of thing comes up a lot. Like, I didn't finish this game because of one of the late stage bosses where I just didn't have the ammo to fight it because I was just using the ammo to try and defend myself haphazardly. It was a mess. The bosses are just an outright mess. Uh, James, I would say, oh, uh, uh, I was say the, last, the last thing I do say is that I do like some things. Like I would argue that the the two bosses that most improved and feel a bit more actually fun to fight, although they are still obnoxiously hard, are Nosferatu and Steve. I feel like if they were to remake Code Veronica, I would like them to take that kind of environmental design, maybe throw it in. Maybe not so much swinging on cranes and stuff, but or the idea of climbing up a tower to escape somebody and with the, the, the goofy jumps and the general way that Nosferatu behaves and mutates was kind of cool. It was sufferable to fight, but it was kind of cool. Does that make sense? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll get it. Uh, James, what did you think of the boss fights? Um, So yeah, to touch on Nosferatu, like Steve was in the chat while I when I died to him about five or six times. Mm. Um, I died to him twice because I didn't know what to do. Like I, like there was uh, a point where he throws rocks at you. And I was like shooting at the rocks because the previous pre in the previous level, things were throwing things at me and I had to shoot them and then that was it, right? But no, you had to shoot him and it was at a particular point. But that brings me on to my second point, which was which was um, what they call is it perfected, Mister X or um, you know when he takes super tyrant, his, yeah, when he takes his jacket off, yeah, super uh, lim- limiter. Um, there's a point with him. Um, which really got me stuck. Oh, I forgot I, about this. <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> I didn't, like, Google anything in this game until this point, and it's, it is the only point that I Googled at all in, in the gameplay. But it's when he's, like, running at you, and then when you shoot... You dodge him, and then you shoot him, and he goes to the, uh, the left of the train about, say, 50 metres away from you, right? And you, you get thrown a rocket launcher by Ada Wong, and they're like, shoot it. And I'm like, okay. 
Because that's what happens in Resident Evil. Like, oh, I've been at this for so long now in this fight. I mean, this fight at this point was about two, three minutes long. Mm. And I was like, right, okay. So I shoot it. And he catches it. I was like, okay, maybe I just need to do it like three or four more times. So I did oh, it God. three or four more times. Nope. You've, keeps you on just catching it. Up, you've, you've woke up a psychic memory. Because <laughs> I, I realize now that I, I knew that. And that's why I didn't fire the rockets until the second time I did, did, did his health bar this time through. But I distinctly remember getting incredibly pissed off when Ada gave me the rocket launcher and I fired the the entire volley at him. And I had to wait for the game to respawn a rocket launcher just <laughs> mysteriously behind me. Yep. Yeah. She, she's just like, she's got an unlimited supply of rocket launchers. Does she though? Because when I played it, she spawned an extra one for me and I wasted all of them. And then the game just went round and round in a loop and I couldn't beat him. So I had to, uh, oh, I had to die man. and read. Because, yes, as you're about to say, there is a specific point when you have to fire it at a specific animation and the game does not tell you that, does it? No, it doesn't even give you a hint. No, not It just really, basically no. gives you the rocket launcher too early. You shoot your load and you're yeah. Sorry about the swearing on this one and, side. And like it's 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 you know, and again, like to harp on about like the motion, it's because of the motion. Because when you're when he jumps away from you, you turn back and like Leon does this like really big gasp of breath and like bends his head and then wobbles a little bit more. Right? And it's like in during that animation, when he's on his knee, that is when you're meant to do it. And it's like that is when you're at your most apparently you've been standing in the same spot this entire time, but apparently you're winded. For some reason, <laughs> you know, and yeah, oh, it was just hell. Um, but I, I think the one that kind of, in terms of difficulty, like actual, like proper gameplay difficulty, rather than just bullcrap difficulty, um, it was for me. It was the uh, it was um, uh, Hilda Hidalgo. Um, right. Yeah. Is, is it Hilda Hidalgo? Yeah. yeah. Um, because there is a, and it's not clear. Um, because nothing in this game is freaking clear when it comes to the bosses. Um, but you have to you have to shoot its little like diamond shaped brain on its back. But there are certain points during that boss fight where you just cannot hurt her at all, mm. right? And that is a really that's over huge oversight. It's like don't give me frames that I can shoot and damage something if I can't do it. Yeah. Like, and it, it was like half of that fight. Was you just running away, trying to get to a high vantage point, and then it would just jump up towards you, and then you've got, like, you know, 15, 20 seconds of it in front of your face. Um, you're meant to shoot it so it, so it like, uh, stutters back. Um, uh, staggers back, sorry. And it's just, you know, that is the pinnacle of the problem with this game, is there's a lot of stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of stuff where it's just you don't know what is going on mm. uh, with these bosses. Right, because, you know, it, it broke the fundamental rule of health bars. <laughs> yeah. Like, you put a health bar on something so you know how damaged it is. And if you keep shooting, it takes no damage. Then that's not fair. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. not fair gameplay. You know, just don't put a freaking health bar on it. Like, if, if that's what you're going to do. I would prefer that. Like, then them, them putting a health bar on it at all. Because... I remember one fight I wasted I wasted like a lot of grenade launcher rounds right because I thought that it was and it even carries on to the next scenes because I thought I was going to be able to, 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 to damage the thing but it didn't work I think um, one big kind of criticism of the gr grenade launcher with me 
um, is that you said earlier on, Sarah, it's a certain bosses you can hit with this thing. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be a boss killer. It's always been a boss killer in every Resident Evil game that's had a grenade launcher. And I think there's like two bosses it works on. Yeah, probably. <laughs> by, by the point you get it. Yeah. Like, because everything else is either slightly elevated, right? And for some reason, whoever your main character is that you're playing, um, the arc that they throw is weak. Like, it is, even if you aim the, the pointer right to the top, it like has a max arc of maybe like 20 meters. Mm-hmm. It's awful. And there's big stuff in this game. Stuff that's always moving around as well. Yeah. Oh, it's just <laughs> I like feel exasperated just talking about it all because it took a it took a lot out of it. Like Steve said earlier, like the the main gameplay, get the journey of the game, minus the motion controls, is great. Right? And it's it's like it can get to a point where it can get really fun. Especially with what Jordan and I were talking about earlier on with how we played the game. Right, but the bosses ugh no. Yeah. I I agree all around, really. I think that there's a, a good game in here somewhere that's just weighed down by a bunch of stuff, and the bosses are, are a big part of it. You know, that Hilda fight is where I tapped out, which is about 15 minutes from the end of the game, pretty much, but I was just like, I can't do it anymore. It doesn't help that there's like a cutscene in the middle of the boss fight, so if you die, you have to get to that point and watch, you know, what's-her-face singing again, and it's just like, oh, it's just, ex- I'm exhausted just by the entire experience. So, yeah, sadly, I just I couldn't do it anymore. I feel kind of bad for it, but that is what it is. Uh, Jordan, any pros or cons on the boss fights? I know we've got quite deep on it. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, covered, covered most of my points, really. But it was uh, uh, probably not as rage-inducing for me, I, I think. I kind of, for one, once again, I was playing on easy because I just wanted to kind of experience the game and... That's probably just uh, that helped me in in certain respects yeah. to boss fights, of course. Uh, but yeah, there were there were some oversights. The whole uh, shenanigans with the uh, health bar is annoying on the first playthrough. I mean, obviously, you anticipate it for the second playthroughs, and uh, you you can then usually kind of hold back your ammo for when you know absolutely you can wail on this boss and you can cut their health down. But especially kind of having a rocket launcher, because you almost always are probably going to have some leftover rocket launcher ammo from a previous campaign. And, you know, at first it's exciting because it's like, oh, wow, I'm going to I'm gonna be able to use this in another boss and just sort of shortcut my way through the next segment. And so often it would just be completely pointless. It would just fly off in a different direction or completely mi- completely miss the enemy. It felt like... There was an episode of Pokemon once where, like, this old guy had been going after this giant Whizcash. It was like a his, his Moby Dick uh, in in its essence, and he saved a Master Ball for it. And when he finally tracked down that Whizcash and threw the Master Ball, uh, the Whizcash just opened its mouth and ate it. And that's what it felt like with the rocket launcher. So many times it felt like, right, here we go. I'm going to take out this boss in one hit, and then pew, it just goes flying past their head, and I'm like. Oh, that was my whole tactic. (laughs) Go through it again and just um, approach it from a different way. I mean, uh, Hilda was also one of those bosses that stuck out to me. Uh, The the second fight with Hilda can be very annoying. That said, obviously, I fought it twice, um, you know, both as Leon and then as Krauser. Uh, What I can say is that those sequences... 
where uh, Hilda's either, you know, firing those strange darts at you or, you know, just basically throwing up. Um, you can stun Hilda at those moments, but it requires a lot of firepower. And more baffingly, it requires uh, almost no accuracy. So I thought that the sort of the diamond sort of shape crevice with the brain sticking out on the on the back, that's what you're supposed to hit. And yeah, in, cer- in certain uh, sequences you can. Um, but that, for some reason, is not what was stunning her for me. I was just basically, I was putting as many bullets into um, like any part of the body. And if I managed to hit Hilda enough times, then that's when it would cause the the stagger animation to Mm. kick in. And that was baffling, because it was kind of, even on guides, it'll tell you that, like, the weak spots are the brain and sort of, like, the top of the head part. And if you try and aim for those parts, most of the time you're going to miss, because, you know, Hilda's moving around all the time, the camera's moving around all the time, um, so you're never really going to line up your shots. Basically, just try and aim for the easiest part, the largest sort of form, and get enough bullets in, and then it will trigger the animation, which I think was communicated, not even poorly, it just wasn't communicated. Right. Yeah. And so that was that was a bit weak source. With regards to some of the other bosses, of which I only really have like notes for one or two, Mr. X is quite bland in, I think, every form. Mm. And maybe that's just because things like, you know, Remake 2 have kind of spoiled us for, you know, how scary it can be. But his normal form should have had more menace, but he just kind of felt like an inconvenience. Um, just walking towards the camera, it was not necessarily uh, that interesting. It was a little bit more interesting when you had other enemies uh, around Mr. X, so that when he's you know further away and he's walking towards you, you're kind of panicking because you're trying to manage your resources. But even then, it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, like the whole rocket launcher segment, just way too contextual. And the the window for actually finishing the boss fight just felt so narrow. And that was a pain in the neck because you felt like you'd done enough by that point. There was no reason to really stick around apart from you had to do this one thing at this one moment yeah. in a very specific fashion. And it just goes against what you know we like about boss battles, really is that ultimately it's about kind of really unleashing your arsenal at its full potential. Ironically, there are bosses in the Operation Javier segment, especially towards the end, where they kind of feel a little bit too oriented around you having maxed out weapons so that you can just wail on them mm. and uh, you know down them as quickly as possible. And you're probably not going to appreciate those on the first playthrough. And... Obviously, if you don't appreciate them on the first playthrough, you may not even get around to a second playthrough. So I think that's kind of backfired. And the only other thing that I'd say about is uh, Birkin. Uh, the earliest fight is obviously uh, the most annoying. Um, you know, the whole segment at the end where you can lose a lot of health just because you think the fight's over, but for whatever reason, you still have to you still have to do things. But every new fight with Birkin was more enjoyable. Yeah, like I, I kept going back to those chapters. Uh, not only to farm a little bit of gold, but also it was just it was just plain fun. Because I think, obviously, it's a more obvious enemy in terms of weak spots and knockbacks. And, uh, yeah, uh, every kind of Birkin after sort of the first stage was a lot more fun just because uh, I knew that I was going to be able to pump a lot of bullets into him. 
So, yeah, that's at least a highlight. And now, reading the file Queen Ant Report from Resident Evil Code Veronica in character as Alexia Ashford. Reen Hurst, you can follow on Twitter at ReenBeanVA. After discovering the remains of an ancient virus within the genes of a queen ant, I have been concentrating on the research of ants. The ecosystem of the ant seems truly ideal to me. There is one queen ant in each anthill, and the soldier and worker ants are the queen's slaves. They dedicate their lives to the queen. The death of the queen ant means the doom of the entire anthill. However, the soldier and worker ants can be easily replaced as long as the queen ant is alive. This is exactly the same relationship between myself and other ignorant masses. I have succeeded in creating an ideal virus by implanting the queen ant's gene into the mother virus that Spencer found. I used my otherwise useless father as a test subject. However, as I expected, the virus caused a rapid change in his cells, triggering the complete destruction of his brain cells and body flesh. Furthermore, a special type of poison gas was generated inside his body that the blue herb had no effect against. Because of this, I created an antidote in case of emergency and stored it inside of the weapon chemical warehouse on the B2 floor. I have decided to name this virus with unimaginable potential, the T. Veronica virus. When I find out how I can fully utilize the power of this wonderful virus, my great research will finally be complete. <laughs> Alexia Ashford. Okay, cool. Uh, let's talk about the aesthetic of the game before we get into breaking down specific stories. Um, let's talk about the visuals for Dark Side Chronicles first, I suppose. Um, Steve, let's start with you. What do you think of the, you know, ignoring the sort of Exorcist style head turning all the way around vomit vision? Um, in terms, of I actually what you liked can see it. Of the visuals. <laughs> yeah, no, think? no. I actually, I actually liked it. I thought, obviously, with with the name being Dark Side Chronicles, it's well lit, and you know, <laughs> and what, not in the not in the uh, you know not in the uh, yes, it's just bright everywhere. But they actually put a lot of thought into it, and especially like uh, I think there was talk of this kind of technology being in RE five, but in um, in Dark Side Chronicles heaviest level specifically. There's like bits where there's like lots of change in focus with how the light works and how you actually see, and I actually really appreciate that. Uh, the environments themselves, all of their distinct tone, I would say, it feels like RE2 got most of the most of the love. It feels like uh, I, I can see if if you were to watch this and then look at the OG RE2 and then the remake, you can kind of see a through line of where the evolution goes to where how the RPD looks, you know, because this this essentially looks like. You know, all right. Sorry, we'll include Outbreak in that analogy as well. Because if you look at that to Outbreak to Dark Side to this, you can see it's like the station's getting progressively bloodier and messier and darker, yeah. and I, it, it worked. It, it looks nice. I, um, the CV stuff. There's newer areas, newer areas that they've done specifically for the game look great. But there are some that look like they're almost straight ports, uh, yeah. and uh, they're not bad, but they do feel lower in spec than their counterparts. Mm. Uh, and Javier's stuff is great, 
when we're not in a grey corridor. Uh, and unfortunately, spent a lot of time in grey corridors and heavier stuff. So, yeah, aesthetically, I think the models are great as well. The, the monsters, the zombies, maybe a bit grim on the uh, the jiggle physics on the misty zombies. Just, just put it out there, a bit grim. Um, but overall, everything else aesthetically, I think, is great, for a, especially for a Wii title. Because, you know, when it's not blurry as, you know, a frick, it actually looks nice. Yeah, overall, I'm inclined to agree with that. Um, even the, the sad parts, um, the Operation Javier missions definitely use a lot of reassets, you know, reuse assets and stuff. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, from other chapters and themselves, which is a shame, but it does definitely have its high spots. Um, in particular, when you get to sort of like the top of the dam and you're fighting the Jabberwocks and stuff, that's like a really cool, unique look uh, for Resi, as opposed to trawling through sort of like the sluice and being a bit like oh we're in another sewer oh we're going backwards through the same sewer again on a different mm. chapter that's a shame but overall yeah uh, i i don't actually know for sure how this was put together so i can't say with any certainty my assumption is uh touching up some of the stuff they had from outbreak i'm going to guess because obviously they used that for the re3 chapter and it's still lying around but it definitely looks uh like it's been treated well for this so i'm going to assume that's kind of a little bit of what they did for RE2, but I don't know that for sure. And same with CV, I would imagine they probably just took stuff straight from the game for the most part and cleaned up what needed to be done. And some parts, you know, I agree, don't look as good. But uh, yeah, overall, pretty pretty positive stuff. And uh, it's a shame because a lot of these sort of like uh, chapter opening cutscenes, if you like, are just sort of hazy images with Leon giving a voiceover. Oh, by the way, Cherry's infected kind of thing oh yeah yeah I did not like the, the, the jump cuts in certain areas and stuff yeah, narratively they, they, speaking yeah they narratively sort of make some jumps just to move on with the game which okay it makes sense which is a shame because I mean Chris's entire CV chapter is, is, is gone like it, he's there for the final bosses when he's woke up Claire who's now just lying in the middle of the flipping mansion area court like yeah. um, forecourt whatever you can uh, understand why they did some of that, though, for the sakes of like, the game, where it's like, well, we can't just go through all these same areas for another six chapters as Chris and, mm. uh, you know, Rodrigo, or, you know, some random, pick some random dude. Um, so I understand that part. Um, but yeah, big the, the cutscenes, when they're not like hazy images with narration, are actually pretty good. I think they still look really good today. Some of them are really fleeting. They get, they, you know, they get in and out very quickly with the bits of story they want to show you. Uh I guess that makes sense, really. It's not like a mainline title. It probably didn't have a massive budget. But that being said, I think the the actual cutscenes of the game look really good overall. I, As I said I, earlier, the character redesigns for like Claire and Leon and stuff look really good. I prefer the CG in this over degeneration, at least. Like, yeah, you know, fair, maybe same, even, actually. Yeah. Uh, maybe soul. not for Claire, but for Leon, definitely. Leon looks more like a person. <laughs> uh, yeah. Jordan, what do you think of the visuals for Dark Side Chronicles? Uh, yeah, good overall. I mean, uh, you know, emulating this game, obviously, it's always going to look a bit nicer, but it, it did make me appreciate the work that went into the Wii graphics, you know, even while output during that era sort of languished behind sort of standard definition. So, you know, hats off to Caviar for that, because, um, yeah, it's, it's quite ambitious. It's, like, surprising how good Darkside Chronicles can kind of hold up with only a resolution bump. So I wasn't surprised at all that they then ported it to the PS3 pretty quickly, mm -hmm. to be fair. And uh, apparently the producers of Resident Evil 5 were very impressed with this game on a technical level. 
previously they'd said that Resident Evil 5 was not possible at all on the Wii, um, you know, especially because of like all the new sort of you know shaders and lighting tech they were going with in the new engines. But then they saw this game and they thought, oh well, maybe, maybe we can, but uh, we we still won't make it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, generally um, enjoyed it for the presentation a lot more than Umbrella Chronicles, which I mean, obviously based on the actual settings themselves, sure. was always going to be a, sort of a bit of a murky game. And this, obviously, especially with its sort of its uh, original story in Operation Javier, is able to kind of afford itself some uh, some better locales that can sort of show off uh, a different uh, degree of, of the Resident Evil world that we're not necessarily used to. Mm. Um, the HUD's a lot cleaner as well. Mm. Uh, I went back to actually have a look at Umbrella Chronicles and I just I realised that it's actually pretty ghastly because it's just it's such a hog on the screen. And I think they've they've paired it back appropriately for uh, Dark Side Chronicles, and it never really got in the way. And it was always a nice sort of glance away just to see either health or, you know, like how many bullets I've I've got left. I don't need that on the cursor. I don't need that in my crosshair at all times because it just makes the crosshair really heavy. Yeah. And um, while obviously I'd maybe prefer either variable crosshairs or maybe no crosshairs at all, although I think now. Understanding the design philosophy of the game more. I understand why it's there. But yeah, I don't think they really could have paired it back that much more than that. And even even then, I had, you know, certain options kind of ticked on for display. Mm. When I believe you can take most of them off, with the exception of the crosshair. Mm. Um, the only criticism I have with it is how washed out some of the scenes can look from sort of a more muted colour palette. Which I think was just more of a, an issue of the time, really. Um, I think if they were making uh, that game now, they probably would go for a bit more colour, a bit more vi- uh, vibrancy. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's really the only marks that I can kind of hold against it. It's obviously, it looks worse when you're playing it on, you know, a standard def television because you already have the muddiness of the game Plus, you have a lot of the uh, like post-process effects, like the motion blur, like things like sort of bloom, that don't always come across as as nice as they are intended when you're watching it. It's sort of you're playing the game at its original resolution. So, uh, yeah, if, I mean, if you're if you're emulating it, if you're doing it at a triple resolution and you're kind of getting it to fit 1080p, and uh, you know you can see those visuals more clearly. It can be surprising how much detail there is there, and um, and how much it sort of stands up. So, uh, yeah, hats off in, in some regard. It's just a shame that it had to kind of come out on the Wii, which was sort of so limited in its display output. Mm. Uh, James, what do you think of the way the game looks? So, this game came out eight months, I think, after Resident Evil 5. Yeah, something like that. And you can see that the game has taken inspiration from that game. In terms of like filters and stuff, <laughs> they use heavy filters mm. in this in this game to kind of color or like kind of you know just gloss over um, its <clears throat> sorry um, its um, I don't know, the bad the bad quality that is there. Like they tried to co- cover that over. Um, like as soon as I went into Operation Javier, I immediately thought of Re- of Resident Evil Five, um, and then I. I realized it came out in the same year as that and it makes complete sense so mm-hmm. I won't be surprised if they 
and it's, it's also uh, kind of a testament, like, they, they, not testament, sorry, it's, like, I understand why they did it. Like, uh, the hype after Resident Evil 5 of this game must have been really high. Um, especially with, like, shots of Operation Javier. Um, but yeah, that's, that's much I'll say about that anyway. But I... <laughs> I wasn't really impressed by the general visual style of this game. I was playing it in native. Mm-hmm. So I was getting the same experience that anybody else would on Wii. Um, like, a, a, as I say, like a lot of Resident, Resident Evil games that came out around that time had that same, like, green, yellowish filter that they put on um, and the same shiny skin and, like, the shell texture that you always see. Uh, I think it's just because I'm so used to it, though, so this is just personal opinion. Um, I did find that uh, <laughs> I actually exclaimed it when I first saw Hilda. Really loved that character design, that monster design. Really loved that. As soon as I saw it, I went, wow, this is unique. This is weird. This is very eldritch. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, and I like I was not expecting that. And I was it kind of, after I seen Hilda, I was expecting the rest of the game to be like that. I was expecting it to, to face a lot of eldritch-like-looking horror creatures. Um, and then learning that she was put under the T-virus as well was also a surprise. I thought it was going to be Veronica. But learning that she'd been under the T-virus, I was like, okay, so where does that... Because mm. the, the stuff we've seen in T-virus has been very different than that. I thought she was T-Veronica. I thought she had the same disease. That's Am I going crazy? She got given. Checked, but I believe she got given the T virus, and it didn't really work out, and that's why he looked to the Veronica. But I'll fact check. Oh, I thought it was like the organ swapping. The fact they didn't do that. Um, Uh, No, that was his daughter. Yeah, I mean, I think they didn't do the. I don't think they did do the organ swapping for Hilda, and that's why she turned into Lovecraft's favorite BOW. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she was given the T virus though by, by him. But still, though, it surprised me. Even you know, I was expecting uh, Veronica at least uh, with that one. But the thing that really surprised me, um, oh, well, two things that did. One was the Vista shots in this game. I think there was mm. only like two, mm. right? But someone worked really hard on those. Yeah, for sure. um, and they looked real. Like I was like, I was looking at them. Wow. These Vista shots in this Wii game, this is really impressive. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the camera may be stuck on them a little bit too long. Um, <laughs> like you could tell that you know they knew that they knew that they did well with this with with those shots. Um, I remember there was one point when you're outside the dam, and uh, I think you spend like a whole minute out there just looking. I mean, it looks very pretty, but you know, only need about you know ten fifteen seconds looking at it. Um, and the other thing, and we mentioned earlier on, but is the pure variety of monsters in this game. Um, and I mentioned it earlier in the podcast about spiders. Um, any, any, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a joke with me. Any RE game that has spiders in it instantly gets like brownie points. And this game has four different varieties of them. Right. And it's, it's just like, wow, there's spiders. Oh, there's more spiders. Like, this is really cool. Um, I know probably not, you know, arachnophobes dream, but, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it's nice. Like, I don't, it, I like seeing, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just weird, right? But I mean, we're all weird here, but 
I like seeing, um, you know, like real world animals. Yeah. P- pumped up, like I don't know why in a horror game. Like it's it is scary, right? Like seeing those the the pumped up cricket things. Um, you know, they were also like awesome to see the giant ants, um, the moths, all that stuff. I love that stuff, which is why I like like Parasite Eve as well, like because it did the same thing. So did Silent Hill. Um, you know, I love all that stuff, and when I kind of, you know, I like all the like the unique designs of stuff as well. That's really cool. But yeah, I I really yeah more more of that stuff, please. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's really all I have to say because I think like everything else has been covered with this game. It does, it looks like a late noughties video game. It's like it's <laughs> not really, it yeah. doesn't really, like, it doesn't look different. It doesn't really like put itself ahead of anything else um, other than those Vista shots. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's what I would expect. Uh, cool. Uh, fact check. Uh, yes, T virus for Hilda. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, which is weird, considering that she has some sort of like humanity to her still, but you know, Resident Evil sometimes just does things <laughs> it doesn't bother to explain. Um, okay, with the visuals out of the way, let's talk about audio just a little bit. This is usually something that we don't have a huge amount to say, and I don't know if that's going to be any different here. But uh, Jordan, what do you think of the sort of audio of the game? You know, in all of its different aspects. Well, I'm, uh, overall, I was quite pleased with the audio. Especially, once again, compared to Umbrella Chronicles, a few points that I've made in the previous episode, uh, you know, about this series. I had a few points to make about where they could improve, and and they have. Uh, First of all, the pistol no longer sounds like someone punching a filing cabinet. (laughs) It actually sounds like a gun. And for a weapon you're likely using 80% of your playthrough, that's a very welcome change. Mm. Second, the voice direction is a lot better. The actors are now delivering lines with uh, greater environment and situation awareness, at least to my ears. I always kind of pick up on this just because, you know, if you're in an environment where really the characters should be shouting because either they're a long distance away or something, you know, quite monumental is happening around them that they have to shout over, uh, you want that in the uh, delivery from the actors as well. You don't want a flat delivery. And that's not always the case because, well, you know, actors go into a studio and they are not always directed to uh, deliver the lines in that way. So, um, with something with a game like this that is so tailored, and it only really has one vision, you you can't afford to just sort of skip that. And I'm glad that they actually did put more attention into that, and there were a few sequences where uh, it just felt a whole lot more natural, and it was just generally more enjoyable to listen to because it felt like there was a greater chemistry. It felt like they were actually in the environments that they were in. Generally, the voice cast is great, the exception of maybe Javier. And it's especially nice to hear Paul Mercier's Leon Kennedy once again. You can see, obviously, there's a lot of uh, sort of like crossover casting uh, for Darkseid Chronicles and Regeneration, and that makes sense considering the time that they came out. And finally, the music, I was surprised, is very often brilliant. It's easy to miss in a rail shooter, but uh, even on a first listen, a number of these themes stuck with me, and I'd go and check them out uh, later on when I'd go uh, hunt down the soundtrack. Uh, the track Game of Oblivion, that plays during the Target Practice House segment in like Code Veronica, that goes harder than it has any right to, <laughs> and God bless it for it. <laughs> 
It's, it's really epic. I'm not surprised at all that the soundtrack turned out the way that it did, with the talent behind it, because they had quite a few returning veterans, um, as well as bringing in some sort of, you know, industry great uh, to work on it. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's come out really well. Um, and I'm, I was just so surprised by that, because we kind of talked about how sort of inconsequential the Umbrella Chronicles soundtrack could often be, uh, especially with regards to themes that should have been given a greater weight in how iconic they were. Um, and I feel like there's been some, some decent service throughout and some actual exemplary service at, at certain points. So, yeah, lots of cool songs that came out of it and audio generally um, I'm pretty positive about. Interesting, interesting. Uh, I may or may not have some controversial opinions in that case, but let's see what everyone else has to say. Uh, James, what do you think of the audio design of Dark Side Chronicles? <laughs> um, so I think the audio of this game is one of its biggest strengths, to be mm. honest. Um, the guns sound okay; they don't sound great, but the monsters sound awesome. Um, other than the dogs, which sound like screaming kettles, uh, I'm not sure why <laughs> that is. Um, but the music is great. Yeah. Um, uh, with a standout for me being the main menu theme uh, named Sleeping Beauty, which really surprised me because I was stuck on the menu main menu just chatting with uh, with the fast crew, and halfway through the song, vocals start. And I was like, "Oh, this is this is pretty nice. Mm. I like this." You know, it was it was a nice surprise. Um, the voice acting is. Uh, precisely what you'd expect from a late noughties Resident Evil <laughs> um, it's not wildly inspired uh, in general but I did love the inner monologue of Jack until it got weird until he started like kind of I felt like you know no no you know no judgment but it felt like he had some kind of like daddy kink with Leon at one point because <laughs> he like said something that was really strange <laughs> Like, like I don't know. I felt it was so out of place because beforehand you've been like, you know, Jack was kind of this very stereotypical kind of macho figure, right? And then, but his inner monologue was more reaching out to Leon and wanting him to. I mean, this is going more into story, but I, I, I feel like the voice direction there was a bit weird. Okay. Um. Yeah, another big strength is the audio files of this game, which I'm sure none of us got because uh, you have to get rank S in hard mode, which no thank you. Um, you know, I got I got rank A's and everything on normal, right? And that was tough. Um, but yeah, it was good getting some closure uh, for hearing those audio files. It's good getting closure on Annette uh, and with Sherry. Because oh yes, a lot yeah, I forgot that that's a thing. Because a lot of people, like, I, I see on the internet, like, you know, there's, there's like, two camps. There's, there's camp, Annette is a crap mum. I mean, she is, but, you know, she's completely crap mum, and she left Sherry, you know, uh, to die and all that. But these audio files show you how much she actually cared for Sherry, and she gave a direction, and the best way, like, a, a mother, like, uh, like Annette can get, can, can do. Um, and I thought that was really important. Um... And then my final point is, uh, <laughs> I, I have a really good ear for some like voice actors I've I've heard and know the name of, mm -hmm. and um, as soon as Steve spoke, 
I was like, that's Sam Regal. Yeah. And as soon as he spoke, I was like, I like this Steve. <laughs> but then he carried on. He went through his... And, I, you know, he, Sam did really make this character much more relatable with his voice acting. Um, still a bit strange. Uh, but I did feel for him more. Um, and I, I did feel much more... Rela- you know, I could relate more to him um, as a teenager... Um, in this game than I did in the original game. Um, it was also great to hear the banter between Claire and and him. I thought that was very important because it made it slightly... You know, you kind of got their relationship a bit more, whereas in the original you don't really get that banter right, as they're moving through. Um, I'll talk about a little bit more about that later. But it got a bit... It got, like... It, it kind of fell flat at the end, though, when he's... I really didn't want him to say, I love you. But he did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, he didn't. He went. He went. I l- and then died. Yeah, and I was so like, <laughs> "I like your shoes, Death." There you go. <laughs> and like, you know, I just yeah. The voice direction in this game was pretty good. It was some weird like kind of voice direction um, in terms of how it went. But overall, I liked it. Um, but the biggest standout for me was the music. I loved the music in this game. Yeah, my... Uh, oh, sorry, Steve, go on. I, I, I say, um, I think Love Child in the live chat has uh, discovered what Steve was going to say. It was actually, I love the Dreamcast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, my opinions are definitely uh, sort of leaning closer to yours. I agree, you know, the, the voice acting as a whole in this game is pretty solid for the most part. I, don't, I can't think of anything that really stood out as, uh, you know, anything other than serviceable upwards um steve has a better voice that's nice he's still really annoying um, yeah. you know i guess fair he's a teenager he's a dumb horny teenager i just felt like and maybe it was i just noticed it more but compared to the re2 chapters i felt like he talked more than anyone else in the game like i was like what, oh yeah was everyone talking this much before is it just him he has to say everything about everything it just like it got old pretty quick. Um, oh, hey, Mikey. That was that scene where he's just <laughs> oh, in the freaking laboratory. Oh, God. <laughs> awful, isn't it? Stuff like that. Uh, I didn't think that... Uh, it's weird. It's, it's a sort of tale of two cities, really, because the, some of the cutscenes and stuff that they did for Claire and Steve to sort of build on that sort of blossoming relationship, like Claire putting her hand on his, you know, when they're in the plane and stuff, or whatever it is. I can't remember now, but... Uh, yeah, it was when they were in the plane, I think. Uh, that's nice, but I didn't feel like they actually had any actual chemistry at all, it really, when they were talking to each other. And a lot of that is down to what feels like a really weird translation. Like, a lot of the lines, just the context didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, I don't know. It's just, it really didn't help me to stay it, engaged it with felt, the characters. It felt, like a, it felt like a teenage boy was writing this love story. Yeah, if I, like, uh, I guess that's fair, but if I can chime in, it feels like uh, the the plot demands that Leon and Steve should develop romantic uh, feelings for one another, yeah. but the voice actors or the voice direction at least make it seem more like it's a elder sister little brother trying to be cool relationship yeah. with some weird undertones. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it yeah, really does feel fair. like that. I, you know, because the the, the, dy- the dynamic I got was Steve's trying to act cool and fun, whereas Claire's like, "Now's not the time. Let's 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 get let's get through this, please." Mm. You know, stop acting like a clown. 
I actually like that dynamic of, you know, Steve trying to be funny and Claire's like, no, can we get on with this, please? <laughs> uh, Steve, what do you think about the general audio design of the game? Uh, actually, I uh, I have a few bugbears, but generally I have uh, fond fondness. I thought the music was great. I thought the sound effects of the guns were punchy. POWs were fantastic. Uh, the, the chemistry between most pairs were actually really enjoyable. I feel like Leon sounds a little bit too somewhere between seasoned and not a rookie uh, in his RE2 interpretation, but it's good to see that Paul Mercier is back to his cocky self rather than the plank of wood from Degeneration. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I think the only real issue I have that uh, no one seems to have raised is there's some weird sound in this game at times. Like, when BOWs are doing their BOW transformation <laughs> thing, yes. particularly... And, uh, you know, normally in most games, like a big whoosh, this sounds of flesh ripping and like jets of air or whatever, you know, making it sound really dramatic. And this is like a... <sighs> and that's it. Just like a, a, a little, like, silent squib, if anything. It's almost like implied violence with nothing that happens. It's kind of... kind of takes me out of the experience when Birkin's transforming and you hear the equivalent of a twig snap. <laughs> the other one for me is yeah. several bosses that just sit there and they're just going... It's like this looping sound effect, and it's so annoying. <laughs> Voice direction's great. Um, yeah, and I said most of the other stuff's great. It's just those weird bits. Like, why you put all this effort in and all this presentation, then you have like Chief Irons essentially what shoulder burst an entire G through the reflection of an eye you can barely see, and then the sound of it is just like you know damp leaves being trod on. Uh, weird. Uh, weird. Actually, you just reminded me of Brian Hines, actually. Um, did you guys... He doesn't, I don't, he doesn't say this in the original game, does he? He doesn't say the stuff line. Stuffer, yeah. No. Like, I was just about to stuff her. He says it, like, really quietly. Like, it, it's literally, like, in, in parentheses, you know? It's <laughs> like, yeah. You're after G, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> so they call me Chief Irons, but I should be just called Chief Stuffer. <laughs> uh... I, I can't leave it on uh, too much of a positive note, I have to say. Um, yeah, the I actually think the voice acting for Hilda... Not Hilda... No. Is it Hilda? No, Manuela. Manuela? Manuela yeah. was kind of weak. Mm. Yeah, kind of weak. I, the I voice agree. direction for, for Manuela was kind of weak. Like, they, yeah. they just sound like someone pretending to be a panicked child as opposed to a panicked child. Whereas everyone else was kind of in the moment, especially Krauser. Like, mm. I am... Um, We'll probably get into this a bit more on those chapters specifically, but I could have I could have stood for a couple like I could have stood for a buddy cop show of like you know skeptical muscle man Krauser and smooth cool actually knows what's going on Leon <laughs> bitching at each other for ten hours I, I could have more of that yeah Manuel sure. Manuela sounded like she was high yeah she did a bit of yeah time. yeah she's uh, all that morphine from having her organs transplanted <laughs> still going around in her veins um, yeah I'll leave it on a positive then since I haven't said anything about the soundtrack you know I pretty much agree with all of you the soundtrack's really really good um, I should probably dig into it a bit more because it's got all these great new interpretations well new at the time interpretations of all these classic tracks from these two beloved games that you know just have fantastic soundtracks to begin with um, as Jordan sort of alluded to bringing back the sort of classic composers as well to, to oversee those reorchestrations is, is really, really neat. So, uh, yeah, it's cool to hear some more amped-up, action-y versions of uh, some classic RE songs in general. Um, that being said, out of the new stuff, uh, the end credits theme was really good, actually. I think 
I generally am the one who just has nothing to say when it comes to the cheesy uh, resi ending credit songs. I don't really have a whole lot of love for any of them particularly, but I really enjoyed the sort of vocal song for the end of this game. And special shout out to the uh, the Antarctic bass, which didn't actually use uh, the Code Veronica track particularly. I mean, it may be uh, uh, very slightly as a bassist, but they really changed it up. And now it sounds coincidentally a lot like The Thing, it's very John Carpentery, which mm. seemed like a very intentional thing to do, considering it's set in an Antarctic base. So I thought that was really clever. Uh, I think I think the track is still called Blanc, but it feels very different to the original. Uh, and I yeah, I thought it was a really a neat way to take that track. Uh, okay, yeah, let's break down the three stories before we finish up. Any sort of positives and negatives about the three sort of chapters of the game? Uh, let's start with RE2 first. Um, as it's sort of like the first one that you play the full bulk of from start to finish. Um, any pros and cons of people's time in Darkseid's version of RE2? Uh, I'll go first because I only really have a few things to say. We'll keep it brief in general. But, uh, you know, happily surprised to see the alligator as a boss. Uh, often an enemy that gets overlooked, as we know, nearly didn't make it into Remake 2. So it was cool that they actually brought that in as a boss and did some fun stuff with it. One of the better boss fights. Um, and the moth, you know, and family apparently being included is, is nice. Praise, praise the moth. Um, praise the moth. Praise the moth. Uh, and also, additionally, I don't know how I would feel about them injecting different BOWs into classic stories willy-nilly, but putting the lurkers in the sewer from uh, Resident Evil Zero, the frogs, was a nice touch uh, as a way to sort of give that chapter something new. Um, I'm not opposed to that at all. Uh, well, in, in much in the same way that they kind of made the G-Mutant, like the sewer monster of Remake 2, it was cool to be like, oh, this is the, the sewer baddie of RE2 for this game. Um, largely, RE2's memories of a Lost City thing's faithful, but the sewers is uh, completely different, which is no, really, isn't really a great loss at all. And what they did with it works quite well. The stuff that they did change up, like when you get to the P4 lab, it goes from being this big room to just a little square which is all that it needs to be it's different it works so the changes they made perfectly happy with them overall i thought it was a a pretty good retelling of uh, this classic game uh, for what for what you know it needed to be and what it could be in terms of the amount of time they had to spend uh, it looks good it plays good the story plays out as well as it can the only issues being that leon continues to be typical sexist leon uh <laughs> women um, and then they even made Claire kind of just bite back at it, which I didn't really like, uh, with her being all weird about Ada, which seemed a bit pointless to me. But whatever, I'll get over it. Um, Steve, what do you think of the RE2 retelling? Uh, generally, uh, it's weird how we get from, like, we see, like, a brief, the briefest of, like, clips of Claire riding a car, or sorry, riding her bike into town, and then also the tanker has already exploded and they're pretty much meeting there. Yeah. So there's a few narrative tweaks that you have to just get on with. Uh, I like the fact that both Leon and Claire save each other, mm. and then they have a a a, a very befuddled and confused uh, buddy cop dynamic throughout the entire thing. Claire is a bit more scared in RE2 than she is in CV. Uh, Leon is actually surprisingly very on task for finding Sherry and saving her. Doesn't actually have as much, despite the fact again the game is shipping Leon and Ada. They don't really have that much screen time implying much, except for that you know that one exchange between Claire saying shouldn't we be focusing on Sherry at that one moment? Yeah, you know, and then he kisses her. Um, you know, they, they, okay, you've you've literally known her in this version for about 
five minutes, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which is even more egregious than RE2. But no, I love the banter. There's something about that initial trek through the RPD when they're trying to chase Sherry down and save her and Leon just barreling through a door. It makes me laugh every time. Um, (laughs) You know, just literally no no attempts at anything subtle, just shoulder barges through the entire thing. Like, do the entire game like that, Leon. Speed run, you know, Uh, that'd be fun. Marvin feels like almost like again, and and it, you can see the interval stage between this version and the uh, remake two version of Marvin. I feel, um, and I did appreciate the fact that power room in the lab became the boss fight room for basically every variation of G, uh, bar the first and the last. It was kind of fun in that regard, uh, a, a ever evolving spectacle of dread. Mm. So again, yeah, it's more the it's more the actual like being on focus for the characters and the, again the environments they do look great I, uh, I'm not sure what is and isn't a lift from Outbreak that's been touched up generally okay yeah uh, uh, yeah I agree with you on the G thing actually I definitely wanted to just say something about that and the fact that this is probably the best version of the G5 fight like it actually felt like a threat being mm. in a first person perspective felt really cool um, and it gave a lot more to that fight that usually feels like a bit of a weird bumper to RE2 where you really it's not a big deal at all, but this it felt like an actual final boss. So it, well it kind of plays time. like a yeah, it kind of plays like a steroided out super liquor in terms of gameplay. Sure, play. yeah, yeah. And um, I'm not, I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jordan, what are your thoughts on the RE2 retelling? Uh, pretty fun campaign. It does a good job balancing pace and sightseeing. I felt. Yeah, that's a good way. You to know, say. It, it it misses some rooms. Uh, you know, you can't go into every single room of the of the RPD, but um, I still felt that it was a pretty strong representative of the, you know, the original game and the story overall. One of the sort of unintended blessings, perhaps we should say, uh, of a co-op rail shooter is how it can compel the developer to keep characters together rather than apart. So while we probably could have had potential split playthroughs, what we have at least gained from Leon and Claire, Leon and Claire staying together, is just generally more interactions and greater chemistry with them, and so I did appreciate that. Just because it's not something that you would get in the main games, just because of the separated uh, playthroughs. So that was kind of a nice touch, and obviously that has been throughout both Chronicles games is uh, you know keeping characters together and. I think that the writing does a good job of using those opportunities to entertain and sort of deepen the relationships further. That said, yeah, as as previously mentioned, Claire is sort of whiny in Resident Evil 2 for some reason, and I, I guess it was on purpose because it's certainly not the case in Code Veronica where she is the, the, the more mature character out of the two, although that's in contrast to Steve Burnside. So... Yeah, that just kind of threw me off a little bit because she's she's really you know passive aggressive, quite sort of skittish at, at the yeah she's quite skittish at the start, and she's like ew it's like oh zombies everywhere and I was just kind of like is this is this Claire <laughs> I'm not an aficionado on Claire but I was just kind of like oh that threw me off a little bit um and Leon I mean I I love I love obviously Paul Mercier's performance of Leon, but it's. We obviously we have quite a few Leon Kennedys to pick from in terms of uh, performances now, 
and I think that uh, you always want to kind of err more to the the rookie. You really wanted to lean in to those rookie aspects, which I thought that Remake 2 did so well. Here, Leon seems a little bit more confident, a little bit more grit. Certainly not first day on the job, Leon, I, I would say. There's a, there's a few moments of vulnerability, but overall I still kind of... Maybe it was just the voice, but I was still just kind of thinking of Resident Evil 4 Leon. And so, yeah, it didn't necessarily come across mm. sort of maybe as sort of intended. And a shout out to the CGI cutscenes uh, for Resident Evil 2 specifically, because these are the ones that I most appreciated seeing. Obviously, they're very close to sort of that that degeneration level of, of CGI cutscenes. And... It's just, it's nice to see. It's really cool to see. Because it's probably the the closest thing that you get to sort of like a full-on uh, CGI adaptation of Resident Evil 2 and its events. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just cool to see. So yeah, generally, um, pretty, uh, pretty nice campaign. Cool. Uh, James, what do you think? <clears throat> yeah, um, I'm going to repeat this about the other, the other um, operations, about the other... Um missions too but i really loved the uh what they did with the the two character dynamic like they could have just kept really like kind of gray dialogue throughout the whole thing but they didn't they were telling the story as you were playing which i really appreciated um it also gave us a little bit more character development in terms of who steve was later on but yeah i uh, yeah, I, I just want to reinforce as well, like, seeing Leon actually care about Sherry was nice. Yeah. Um, you know, as well, because I always felt like the original Leon from the original game, and even to a certain extent the remake, um, he's a little bit robotic. And to be honest, I get that, because I'm the same around kids. I, like, I just freeze up and, like, I don't know, kid, do thing. Go do thing, you know, but it was nice to see him actually, you know, care um i agree with the claire that like the claire um criticism she didn't feel like claire really in this game uh well in, in these these stages these missions not the claire we know um yeah the claire we know is is always on task you know i mean she came there literally we were told at the beginning of this game she came there to find a brother right but mm. it that kind of got lost she doesn't I find feel. any closure on that this time, does she? Or am I going crazy? No. No. No, she doesn't. Oh, wait, no. She. Does Marvin kinda... say something? I can't remember. I don't um, believe so. I think they just go move on and be like, I still haven't found my brother. Okay, and then Code Veronica happens. <laughs> yeah, only in only in CV, yeah. the CV sections, does she get some kind of closure. But yeah, it is. But at the same time, like it's not really focusing on either Leon or Claire. It's more about the sure. overarching story, um, you know, which I I like. But at the same time, it does like this kind of cool, yeah, balancing act of just still making it interactive and and a learning process for you as well with the um, the little um, uh, the little like unlockables you get at the end that you can read through as well to give you a little bit more information. Mm. Yeah, I, I did I did I like the buddy dynamic. Love that. Okay, cool. Uh let's jump forward to the Code Veronica retelling then, Game of Oblivion. Um this one I have much more mixed feelings about. Um as I said with sort of like this is where the uh, the dynamic kind of broke apart for me with a 
script felt the weirdest um, with Claire and Steve. Um, I uh, Alfred is well portrayed for what it's worth, and I like his relationship with Alexia, and they've kind of like changed that up a little bit, and she very clearly does not care about him, which was actually kind of nice in that sort of horrible way and make you hate her a bit more and maybe make you feel a bit more sympathetic uh, about Alfred. Um, I wasn't overly bothered by his weird Joker-esque sort of like chapter where he's got this fun house and it's like that. I can see what they're trying to do and like pad out a moment of Code Veronica by turning into that but I, I don't know, just felt a little bit weird and went on a bit long for me. Um, I sort of I was like, you know, that scene from The Godfather when I got to the Antarctic and you can hear uh, Nosferatu wailing already. I was thinking, oh no, what have they done to my boy? Um, <laughs> I wasn't a massive fan of the fact that it was instantly like, he's a thing. I was like, okay, but the bookshelf's already moved. Okay, sure, you could hear him screaming, why not? Uh, even though law-wise, it's kind of meant to be like this weird, haunting, distant sound and no one can figure it out. Um, but the boss fight, I thought, was bloody awful. Like... It's such a far cry from what the original game is. And I get they wanted to make it more interesting and exciting. And sure, him crawling around on his back, his Exorcist style is pretty cool in a way. But I just felt like this was such a weird 360 sort of like head spin of a turn on the idea of what he was. And sort of like slow lumbering. Um, I don't know, there's, there's something about that original Code Veronica boss fight that's really scary because of all the mist and stuff like that and the music. And it's all kind of gone in this version of the game, which is a shame. It comes it becomes really silly with the crane and stuff like that. So, uh, no, personally, if they do remake Code Veronica, don't want to see that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but otherwise, it, it was really cool to replay Code Veronica and uh, Truncated as well, because Code Veronica obviously notoriously quite a long game. So it was cool to experience, experience it in a punchier format. And even the little the Wesker stuff they did instead of turning it into this like big fist fight between him and Chris I actually really appreciated this really like subtle him he's standing there in the fire and Chris just sees him and they their eyes meet and that's it um I don't know if I would have that over the original but it's a it's a cool way to do it certainly uh Steve what do you think of uh Game of Oblivion so I I kind of like the fact that Alfred's got a bit more of a more of a role in proceedings, especially at the beginning. Um, in contrast to, I, 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 maybe not the Joker laughing and all that lot, but I like the fact that he's kind of directing events and giving them something to do and acting like a malevolent psychopath, uh, as opposed to before where it was just kind of weird and goofy and really, really bad with the rifle, except mm-hmm. for that one that one bit where he was using a room with a bandersnatch. But we don't have Steve jump down and save you with two Uzis this time, so it's fine. Uh, or two Lugas, yeah. Uh, regarding the Nosferatu stuff in Antarctica, I think Antarctica is the weird one, isn't it? Because I, I should maybe it's cause again the thing we we went through recently, but I love the aesthetic of that outer courtyard, and that the music is awesome in sure. that bit. But it feels like we just we speed run that entire section, yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. I I can see where you're coming from with Nosferatu. I feel like they did more with him, maybe may, maybe too much, but I I kind of really like the idea of that fight in the open. Uh, it's something a bit more... I don't know. It, it's something that I feel like would have benefited CV. Because, again, on CV, is in the in the real game, or the, the original game, you're literally stuck on a helipad where you can get swiped off every five seconds or hit with poison gas. 
and it, it is uh, I, not quite a thrill ride for me. Admittedly, he, yeah, the Exorcist stuff and throwing giant lumps of ice is maybe a bit much, and that crane is obnoxious. Uh, and it's a nice reference to what happens in the traditional game at the end of his life when you have to yank him out in the ice, though. I feel like mm. I feel like that's what reference is. Um, Alfred Lexi's relationship is, yeah, I can see how I can see how that's a better interpretation. Kind of feel like Alexi is somehow half baked though. She didn't get much uh, screen time, does she? She she doesn't. No, she just basically is. Ah, I'm evil, and then you're all here to serve my experiments, <laughs> and that's it. You know, uh, Alfred gets a lot. Alexia deserved a bit more too. I feel like they could have given her character a lot more grit. Uh, yeah, she can like monologue psychopathically as Steve's struggling to like not kill you or something. Uh, sure. So yeah, other than that, I thought the retelling was fine. Like you know, again, I am not, I am on record as being the the, the not the hater, but the, the the CV tolerator of the podcast. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I, I I didn't I did not not enjoy my time with this version of Code Veronica, which says a lot, especially considering the game we are talking about, where we're shaking our head every five seconds and it's motion blurry as all hell. I tell you what, I'll pitch you something then, uh, Capcom. I hope you're listening to this. I can see what you're saying about the sort of uh, helicopter. What's the word I'm looking for? Landing area. <laughs> yeah. Um, being kind of a little bit dull. If if there was ever a remake, your sort of halfway house then is you take this sort of outside area, trudging through the snow while Nosferatu slowly stalks after you. Uh, put the mist in so that you don't know exactly where he is until he sort of comes out of the mist at you. That you know, make it keep it slow and scary. But you're right, that kind of uh, outside area and sort of running around the snow and the outside of the facility would be a cool location for like a, a revisit of the boss fight. I agree. It's just the way Sorry. they made him sort of like a wacky monster. That I didn't like. I hear you. I hear you. And I want to add something to this. They don't crash the plane. They they are forced to land, and the exterior is suspiciously an awful lot like a replica of Outpost Thirty One before they get into the actual <laughs> lab. Do it, Capcom. Why not? Right. You know, put your influences on your sleeve. James, what did you think of Game of Oblivion? Game of Oblivion. So <laughs> easy for me to say. <laughs> so, so I actually had it in my notes uh, to bring I, my notes is bring Nosferatu in as a stalker enemy. Yeah, I could see it working. <laughs> I could see it um, working. And also, it would like in a remake, um, it would be really neat to have that um, near the you know the end of the game because we've had stalkers at the beginning of the game, so it would be kind of a cool little twist um, on what their normal uh, way of doing things is. Um, in terms of... Uh, uh, well, I'll just quickly go over that. So, I really like that section. Um, even though I died several times in Lost Two, it was nice to get out and see more of the place. Even though I hated the mechanics of that fight, um, I liked walking through it, if you get me. Um, mm -hmm. It was cool. Um I would have uh, t talking about like the game of Oblivion uh, overall. I would have would have really preferred if they mentioned the word freak less. It was said a lot, <laughs> right? In in I mean, it is two thousand nine, but it still is two thousand nine. I think you know. I think I think Steve says it quite a lot in the original game too. Yeah, this and... is actually sort of toned down from the original, thankfully. But yeah, I hear you. Yeah. It said it said a lot. I mean, you don't, you don't say that word anymore. Like that's not that's not cool. I mean, I know this was like you know thirteen fourteen years ago, but still. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I really loved the banter again between Steve and Claire. Um, those are the only real points where I felt connected while I was playing. I felt connected to these characters was when they were having their chats, like mm. while we were going through. Yeah, Steve spoke a lot and he said some weird, weird stuff. But when they were actually talking between themselves and what, what they would do next, I really liked that. Um, and I think that is what was missing from the original game. Uh, I said this earlier as well, but um, and why like it was so. I mean, it's still kind of weird, but it's why it's so out of place in the original because we didn't get the that kind of connection between these two sure it's yeah. still it's still odd but in like i i can i feel the connection more it's like you know it's like 70 percent there not like all the way there right but it's, it's it's almost there um yeah i in terms of alfred and alexia man it was really i just wanted to hear cordor you know i know <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> I, it, it was a very traditional mad person, you know, with with Alfred. Like, you know, if somebody went to, like, I don't know, you know, uh, a traditional actor and said, play a mad person, mm-hmm. right? The Alfred we get in Dark Souls... Cro- Dark Souls... Dark, Dark Souls Chronicles. Chronicles. That's a very different game, James. <laughs> the, ca- the character we get in Dark Side Chronicles is precisely what I would expect. But I wanted more. I wanted. I wanted bring bring our boy back, bring Alfred back, because that you know. Was... <laughs> you know now you mention it. You make me. You make a good enough point. Now I'm starting to think. While I can see how OG CV Alfred could potentially have been the leader of that base in some capacity, I don't know if I could see Dark Side Chronicles Alfred ever running a facility. Right. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm, um, interesting point. <laughs> Alexia is not good. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't get a sense of like cause she's so cold and calculating in the original, and like I, that's what I felt anyway. Yeah. Um, and I like I, I, that was terrifying, right? But in this new, she's not. She's just—it's like they've gone okay. Um, so here's Mad Person One, and that's Alfred, and here's Mad Person Two, and that's Alexia, and we want she you was, to play these people. She was three points removed from the world will burn in an inferno of hate, James. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, I think everybody knows. Uh, everybody watches our playthroughs and stuff, and I've mentioned it several times. But the Alexia boss fight is a, is one of my favorite looking fights in the game. It got overtaken recently by Miranda. But it's still, like, it's one of my favorites. Um, but it soured, like, her attitude and, like, who she was. And she was just, like, this generic character, I felt. Um, yeah, it soured that boss fight for me. And, and not only that, but me trying to hit a dragonfly with a linear launcher um, was don't, also complete tosh. Yeah, um, don't go there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um... I liked it. I liked the step. This, the this. I like both of these, both of the arcs. Um, I like their tellings of it. It felt way more intimate. Um, I think is probably a better word to use because it, like we're getting inside the heads of these people, and we we're seeing. Yeah, it felt more real. Like as if like in a typical like you know survival. I know why they're doing it in the video games, but in a typical 
a situation like this, you would buddy up with somebody or, you know, you would try and get help and that's what you see and they would constantly talk so they don't go mad, right, eventually and, you know, they need each, they lean on each other and you get that in both of these arcs, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, what are your take on uh, Game of Oblivion? Uh, well, uh, you know, I've I've always loved Oblivion. It's my favourite Elder Scrolls game. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, sorry for bringing that joke full this. circle. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Had to drag that in, kicking and screaming that joke. <laughs> I have never properly played Code Veronica, mm-hmm. so this uh, I have no basis to compare uh, this campaign to. So it might as well have been a brand new scenario, nice. and yet. It was my favourite to play, um, which kind of surprised me, um, because I've always found Code Veronica um, hard to get into, I suppose, is maybe the most sort of polite way to say it. I just, I I didn't necessarily have the the pull for the main game. That will change. Eventually, I will be in the right mood to play that. Uh, But going into this, I was kind of like, oh, wow, um... If I enjoy this, then I'll probably want to actually give the main the main game nice. a chance, uh, especially since it seems like it was quite different from <laughs> what the campaign was. But still, I enjoy it very much, um, and a lot of that came down to the, yeah the chemistry between the characters. Um, I thought that Claire and Steve's banter is quite entertaining throughout, and I was surprised generally how much I enjoyed Steve Burnside as a character. Right. Bear in mind, I don't know too much about. Code Veronica, but I know this that a lot of people kind of uh, do uh, cast Steve Burnside aside, uh, sorry, Steve Burnside aside as um, you know a bit of a polarizing figure. So I was expecting some kind of Leon Kennedy fused with Anakin Skywalker cringe personified, <laughs> given how the fandom treats him, and uh, I I didn't necessarily kind of feel that, or at least it kind of felt a bit more purposeful in this. He has a lot of dickish creeper traits, mm. but they still feel very much played for laughs here, and the game and the audience feel in on it. Overall, it's well another well-paced scenario, and uh, though that's probably more credit to the game's original plot, the original game's plot, uh, the variety from chapter to chapter made it very easy to give up my afternoon uh, to plow through. Nice. Uh, so, really, I mean, the only downsides... Um, I hate shooting vines, I hate shooting ropes, and I hate shooting chains. And this campaign has a lot yeah. of them. And the shootouts with Alfred just felt very cheap. I would love to know how people have managed to do no damage runs during those segments. But I just kind of, I almost had to forfeit like 80% of my health mm. from the off. Because I just knew I wasn't I, w- I wasn't going to get Alfred most of the time. And that was kind of annoying. Yeah, I actually agree with that. Okay, cool. That brings us to the final campaign of the three, Operation Javier, which is the original story for the game. Um, For me, I don't know, it's almost like a good story. (laughs) There's some bits (laughs) I like uh, in it, but I like most about it the way it's kind of designed to connect some stuff into the canon, kind of previously, as said before, much in the way that RE5 does with RE4. We've got stuff in here with Leon and Krauser. we got Krauser's arm injury at the end, which is uh, an explanation of some stuff that uh, sets up Resident Evil 4. We've got T-Veronica being built on here because Code Veronica is 
hugely important and Tee Veronica is hugely important in the franchise. So it's nice to see it expanded upon as it becomes like a massive part of RE5 and RE6. Um, so all that stuff's really cool. Um, and the way they handled how T Veronica works with sort of it being incubated inside of Manuela and all that stuff. And yeah, it was neat. It was neat. Um, it's funny though, because Leon and Krauser like being sent out to investigate uh, Javier Hidalgo, <laughs> discovering his daughter who's escaping from him. And then basically just go, let's take you back then. Oh no. And that's kind of like, <laughs> it leads to all of the nonsense. Like if they'd have just been like, listen to her and let her go, then it wouldn't have necessarily gone the, okay, it probably would have gone, still gone badly for her. She's probably dead. I know the game says that she's not, but she's probably dead. Um, it's just funny that they just drag her kicking, and, well, not even kicking and screaming. She just goes along with it. They just drag her back to her house where she's been abused. And <laughs> weird. It's awful. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's okay. It's it's okay. I've, it, the, the ending is. Well, I mean, James, I know you tweeted this, so I'm going to throw it to you first. But uh, Leon's line about "for the sake of all the girls living inside of you" is just—I <laughs> don't know what you say about that line, but that's a thing. Uh, James, what do you think of Operation Javier? Could Leon just shut up? You know, like <laughs> just like keep his mouth shut. That's you know, right. it's so he's trying to, so hard to say something nice. He probably shouldn't have bothered. The thing is, even Jack during his monologue is like, wow, that guy's really a stone-cold killer or something. <laughs> like, it's like, what? <laughs> That's not what I read from that at all. Um, but yeah, so this... Opera- so, I don't think it's going to be controversial. Um, I think that if Manuela was directed and voice acted better, this section would have been a hundred times better. Like... Uh, like there is some there is some weird story direction like her winding the runaway and then coming back and and her going oh okay and her just being like this robot that just follows what anyone says um yeah there was there was like a certain point in the game where she would and it doesn't matter who you're controlling right but she would like address one character like cuz i thought at one point she was she was like basically um, she she was basically uh, like connecting more to one of the characters, right? But she first was she was like relating to Leon, right? And then she would be relating to Jack. But there was no like interconnective internet interconnectivity there between them. Why she would be like that? I don't know. This is like a really like wild point, but it's just like her story and her. She's weird. She's just a very strange <laughs> person. Um, in terms of how they've written her and how she's voice acted. Mm. Um, the story itself, I mean, clearly it's meant to be sad. You know, you know, Manuela, she finds her... You know, the first time you find Manuela, she's sitting there singing. And to be honest, when I first came up to that house and heard the singing, I was like, oh, this is creepy. Yeah. Um, it was made slightly less creepy because it was blazing daylight outside. Um, but when it walked in, when you walk in... <clears throat> she's singing there and it was it was pretty creepy and then like before it's it's mentioned i mean it's pretty obvious but in the right hand side of the the screen you see her mother who is uh the the evolved mutated form of her just sitting in the pool listening to her and they're like what the heck's going on here mm. and then like later on you learn that that's her mother and like her mother listens to her singing and that's very nice and very but you know if if there was a better voice actor and better like 
writing there, that could have been done very, very well. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think I think I feel like the this section fell short on that because I didn't feel any emotional attachment towards the end because the boss was such a pain in the butt, and also Manuela was just boring as a character. <laughs> like Javier was okay was very cartoonish evil yeah. guy yeah. you know but you know that's what resident evil is you know the the villains are always that way mm-hmm. um yeah i i want i did want more out of it and this was it was meant to be you know this game's original story and i thought that you know they'd put a little bit more time in it time into it since they had the pedigree of re2 and cv in here as well Mm. Um, it would have been nice for him to put some time in, but it was more like a it felt like a throwaway arc. Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's all I have to say. Really disappointed yeah. overall. I, yeah, I, I know what you're saying totally. This is, I guess, why I was like, you know, I like what it does for the series overall, but as its own story, you're right. It's it's yeah, it's definitely standing standing in the shadow of the greats, unfortunately, with the complete package that is Dark Side Chronicles. So it was going to struggle anyway, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, underbaked uh jordan what do you think of the uh, original story uh well i wasn't keyed on this campaign to begin with um even though it's a brand new entry and that's a big plus the first two chapters sort of being uh you know wedged either side of the other yeah. two campaigns kind of ended up making me sort of disinterested in it it kind of always ended up feeling like a bit of an inconvenience now i know exactly why they did it because uh, the context especially of those first two chapters um, is entangled with the events that preceded it with uh, Code Veronica and Resident Evil 2. But uh, yeah, it was just a bit of an awkward sort of starting point. And um, especially when you're playing like the first act, you're, you know, while you are going to be open to whatever the game's throwing at you as a beginning, I was still kind of like, wait, why are we, why are we starting with the uh, Krauser Leon story? You know, shouldn't we be starting with Resident Evil 2? But obviously, you know, it had its uh, reasonings for sort of the way that it was sort of paced out. Once the actual campaign had the spotlight, once you were done with the other two campaigns outright and you could just plow through it, it was better. It was, like, I, I was more invested in it sort of as a story. I mean, yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot to it. And, uh, yeah, Manuela and Javier are probably the uh, the weakest points um, in terms of performance. Uh, but it, it's compelling enough as a story, the whole sort of strange, awful twist with, uh, you know, Hilda being the monster was, um, you know, fairly compelling. Um, although, I suppose we're kind of used to, <laughs> like, family members of, you know, deranged, uh, like evil guys uh, becoming monsters isn't too much of a uh, stretch in Resident <laughs> mm-hmm. Evil these days. Um, uh, Man- Manuela clearly took after her father's looks and not her mother's. <laughs> um, but it was... It was fine. I think that it did enough with um, Krause's character that probably justify it as worth looking at. If you've, if you've never picked up Dark Side Chronicles might even be at least worth looking at the cutscenes just to maybe uh, understand a little bit more about Krauser. I did like that um, they kind of, they had the inner monologue for Krauser. I, I think the only problem is that it's only it's only two chapters mm. and they have to shove 
a lot of development into his his character and and how quickly he turns he practically turns in only a few lines which is just it's kind of funny because it's you know he's he, he was always kind of seen as a bit of sort of a, a sadistic bastard in Resident Evil 4 and he, he's fairly balanced to begin this story and then it really doesn't take him too long to go from oh I'm out of the picture I'm a pawn Oh, I'm I'm too weak. I'm no good as a soldier. Actually, no. I'm more stronger than than Javier. I can take on this power. You know, give Gondor the weapon of the bioweapon of the enemy. <laughs> Let us use it against him and all of that kind of stuff. That was all packed into practically one and a half chapters, and uh, it was a bit jarring. But obviously, I can't really put too much on this game because. You know, ultimately, it is a spin-off. They don't really get uh, a whole lot of liberty to sort of take. And I think uh, being given this opportunity to flesh out Kraus's character and give him more backstory and give him more motives um, was cool, and it was it was interesting. And they did they did enough with it. And uh, yeah, as as far as actually playing the campaign, it had like a, a nice surprising amount of variety. Uh, we've already obviously talked about, you know, quite a few of the, uh, you know, newer enemies or sort of reintroduced enemies and stuff. Uh, the, uh, you know, I, I like the Anubis. It was very, it was very cool. Um, although, like, I definitely got a bit of a sort of like a necromorph vibe from mm. it. Um, mm. You know, it was 2009, so that's not a big surprise. And it's probably the most compelling from a visual standpoint, because even though the other two games have obviously very recognizable locales, the fact that you're going through jungles, dams, and compounds, uh, it's really, it's, it's a nice departure from what we're typically used to and working sort of like in, you know, urban environments and, you know, inner cities and that, um, to actually kind of go to a completely different place was refreshing. And I mean, I don't know how much it was informed by, obviously, the setting change with Resident Evil 5, but it, obviously it fills up that, that same yeah. street and you know it was still quite fresh to see at that point so uh yeah i still prefer the other two campaigns over it generally but i thought it was decent enough and it by the end it kind of stood on its own and i, I don't know why but i actually did kind of like the fact that it did wall off the last two chapters um, which were admittedly rehashes of the previous two chapters from a different perspective. I like that it kind of walled it off that you must beat the boss within a certain time frame to be able to actually yeah. unlock those. Just It just made it more sort of like compelling and uh, generally I think like a lot of the unlockables and extras, they kind of went the extra mile with um, and uh, that was that was nice to kind of go back and probably appreciate the boss fights a little bit more in Operation Javier. Um, for for what they're worth. Cool, uh, Steve. Thoughts on Operation, Operation Javier? As totally original content, uh, it's a mixed bag. Uh, I don't mean that in a <laughs> you know totally bad way. Uh, you know, I especially enjoy Tango and Krauser. Uh, you know, eighties <laughs> action heroes doing their thing. But it feels like the stakes are kind of low. They aren't. You know, there's there's the entire like community's been destroyed by a virus, and there's children, uh, well, young girls being kidnapped and stuff. But that's not even why you're here. You're meant to in, you're meant to be talking to Javier about a dude who you later find has been consumed by plants, uh, and 
the the visuals are. I think it starts strong, ends strong. In the middle is kind of weak. You know, the 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 opening. Uh, I don't know if that's the right term, but the shanty town that's half flooded, leading to a church. Uh, I thought that whole bit is fantastic as an opening level. Like you know, and it sets the pace. Which then turns into dams and concrete corridors, but eventually opens up to a villa, which is really nice, uh, which leads to like a, a sort of lab area, uh, if only for the boss fight with Hilda. Uh, and the actual characters themselves, we've already talked about Manuela, and clearly it's hereditary Javier's voice direction uh, being a bit weak, but I feel like the actual dynamic between Krauser and Leon is great for what it is. Mm. Um, it's just a shame that we're not going to see any more of it. Like, you know, it feels like this could have been the start of something as opposed to Krauser literally gets stabbed in the arm once by one attack. Goes from, oh God, my life is over. I'm an expendable asset. My career's over. Sees, uh, you know, Javier do the full, like, you know, virus Lombowski and transforms to a giant thing and goes, oh, I could do a bit of that. <laughs> Won't tell Leon, though. This is my rebirth and I'm evil. Which is a shame. It feels like they kind of, like, swerve Krauser so hard so fast. That could have been a lot more gradual. Mm. I mean, that's the only Definitely. real dark side thing about Dark Side Chronicles, really, with the whole, this is my darkness rebirth. <laughs> uh, it's a bit, it's a bit so cartoonish. What they, what they could have done is they could have done, like, a, a heel turn for the regular, for the normal playthrough at the end of the arc by Ulf Krauser. And then you're sitting there and you're like, wait, what? What was happened? And then it says, oh, the darkness only goes deeper or whatever it says at the end when you complete that section. And then you would have learned, you know, it still would have been a bit neck, you know, breakneck pace, but it would mm. have been a bit better, like, because it did feel a little bit out of the blue. And this is likely to be Leon and Krauser's only mission together, whereas it kind of felt like in RE4 it was a bit more ambiguous. Like, obviously at the time, Krauser had only just been made for that game. So, you know, it was a kind of more how much history these characters have. And the fact that it's literally pretty much just one mission in South America, it's kind of a shame. Yeah. It felt like, um, it felt, do you know what it felt like in RE4? It felt like the relationship between um, uh, Black Widow and Hawkeye in yeah. Marvel. I get right, it. Where they're always talking about missions and that relationship, you know, was very similar, but yeah, apparently not. We never yeah. talk about Budapest, but then <laughs> it turns out Budapest was one jaunt and a lot of stuff happened and massive character development in 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I especially like the fact that they had, like, Manuela to do actually uh, use the blood in an offensive fashion to fight her father, right, resisting it. And the fact that there is actually a price to be paid if she like overexhausts herself, she basically does the uh, you know Luke Skywalker Last Jedi bit, and turns into dust. But you know you can save her, and then Krauser looks at Leon, going, "You know you're gonna take the W, Leon. You got to make her feel bad." In his head, it's a shame. I would have liked '80s action buddies, you know, one being cynical, one being confident, doing the adventure thing uh, a bit more. If they didn't just quickly swerve. You know what's uh, funny that- about it? Sorry to interrupt. Was just I agree with you completely about Leon and Krauser. Like the ambiguity in RE4 of how much, how deep their relationship goes in this game just goes. Actually, their relationship lasted about an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's such a simple fix. It's like you don't necessarily have to. You can have the the sort of heel turn as James put it at the end of this game. Then you just take out a line at the beginning where Krauser's like, oh, B.O.W.'s, don't know if I believe in them. That's gone. Then you just assume that he and Leon have been working together for a while 
fighting monsters, yeah. right? But because we've got that establishment of Krauser has never been involved in bioweaponry, sort of eradication or whatever, and then it ends with him being like, I'm evil now. Uh, yeah, it kind of just shrinks that right down. I agree, it's a big shame because uh, I would have loved to have seen more from yeah. you know, that pairing. Like, I, I think I speak for everyone here. Krauser as a character is way more interesting than this, even with his, like, mad fast turn yeah. as this somewhat sceptical character than he kind of is in four. Mm. Um, you know, where it's just like, been a long time, comrade. You know, it's, it's a bit more developed in this that yeah. unfortunately doesn't pay off. His sort of, you know, disbelief at most of the things that he's witnessing yeah. in those last two chapters is quite funny. I mean, I, I cracked up when it was like, I can't remember exactly what the line was like, but when Manuela does actually start doing sort of like the attacks with her arm and that, he just suddenly out of nowhere is like, what? Flammable blood? Yeah, I love Skeptical Krauser. <laughs> I think it's amazing, like, you know, someone just disbelieves the obvious thing in front of him like any sane person would in this situation. <laughs> we, we we could use more inner monologues in Resident Evil games. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I just need Krauser, like, four missions in. Oh, of course it's got a giant eyeball, Leon. Of course it has. Yeah, face palming as he's blasting one hand and just tired and fed up with this whole ordeal. <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. Some final thoughts and conclusions on Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles. Um, Jordan, why don't we start with you? What's your final thoughts on the game? So overall, I thought Dark Side Chronicles is a surprisingly fun game that I feel a bit guilty for discounting and sleeping on all these years. I think the ship has well and truly sailed for there ever being a sort of a direct follow-up yeah. to this series. Mm-hmm. But should Capcom ever want to, and you know, previously they have, uh, should Capcom ever want to actually pursue uh, a rail shooter adaptation of game, you know, future Resident Evil games or past Resident Evil games, even Resident Evil Gaiden? I'd be up for it. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Steve, final thoughts on Dark Side Chronicles? Boy, Resident Evil The Dark Side Chronicles, have we been on a ride? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I have been majorly critical on some well earned mess ups on Capcom's part, but I actually did not totally hate my uh, time with this game. You will need motion sickness medication. You will need the patience of a saint for the boss fights. But there is some good to be had here. It's just there is a lot of bad. So your mileage may vary. I can't say I'm going to replay it any, again anytime soon. Mm. Uh, but I did enjoy what it brought to the table. And this is the first time Steve Burnside has been on the screen for more than 30 seconds. And I didn't want to kill him. <laughs> so for so me, that. I think that, uh, you know... I, this is going to sound weird to start with, I rather enjoy Remake 3 compared to most people, but I think that the general audience could look at this game in the same way that they do Remake 3, in the sense that it, uh, it is the lesser second entry compared to Umbrella Chronicles. It does, in many ways, have a lot less meat on the bone. Like The runtime is, you know, what it is, eight hours or whatever, but because it's kind of like intentionally slowing itself down, it feels like there's probably a little bit less to the game. And there's less sort of extra unlockables. There's Tofu Survivor, I think, and then maybe that's about it. Um, it's got, and it's got, and it's still a fun game, but some of the choices might be puzzling. And that's kind of things that can be applied to both Dark Side and Remake 3, I think, to a lot of people. Uh, unlike Remake 3, which I do very much enjoy, 
Uh, I will take Umbrella Chronicles over Darkseid every day of the week. I won't be replaying this. I don't think it's terrible by any means. It absolutely has some saving graces and we talked about them. I love some of the retailing stuff. But it is not going to be something that I find myself revisiting, unfortunately, because of some of the really weird decisions like the motion blur and the boss fights and stuff like that, which is a shame because... Yeah, there's there's some bright sparks in here, but it's not uh, it, it it never really blew me away. I, I've probably a reason I never finished it, and I, I still haven't. I should probably do that at some stage, but I don't feel like I'm really missing out. Uh, but there you go, uh, James. What are your final thoughts on the Dark Side Chroniclays? Chroniclays. Chroniclays. Dark Side Chronicles is like if like you know. You don't bake a loaf of bread long enough. You know, it's like, you know, it's all gooey in the middle. And, you know, you put it in a little bit longer and then you put it in too long. It's a bit dry. You know, so it's it's just, it's got, re- it's got really good potential. And I hate saying that word um, because it doesn't really help at all. But this game does have potential. It's just like, there's a lot wrong with it that make it not as accessible to everybody. Um, I don't know how well this game did or whether it was a success. Um, I imagine it but just due to that. There hasn't been sequels, right? At no, all? this is the last one. Unless yeah, you count the like, Revelations games, no. Yeah, like that. You know, this game kind of, you know, stopped that. So, I mean, probably wasn't the game. Uh, but, oh, totally the game. But, yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed it for what it was. I mean, this was, was the first rail shooter that I've completed. And then I've picked it up immediately after because I just enjoyed the handgun so much mm. and when I figured out that thing with the reticule and just being able to just constantly fire and eventually you'll hit something um, yeah the game became a lot more fun and being able to hit everything around me as well down corridors uh, but that's what a real shooter is um, it was yeah it was okay and <laughs> but it had elements of being great Unfortunately, they didn't grasp hold of those those things, and and uh, you know, well, finish finish the game because it was just it it felt well, it felt finished, but it wasn't good. Like they didn't they didn't perfect the things they had, because like you can you can play you can play you can play Dark Side Dark Side Chronicles right with the head wobble and everything, right, and it have head wobble. But they could have just lessened that by, like, you know, I don't know, like, 60, 50, 60%. And the game would have been way more playable and way more fun. Not So, Dark Side Chronicles, not the best loaf of bread I've ever had. Moist Outlet exactly. 2022. <laughs> yeah, that's new t-shirt. Slap that on the box. <laughs> can, can I interest you in one of their other games? Resident Evil Bread Aim. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Also, oh. also coming this winter, Vines, Ropes, and Chains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds the, like an album. Yeah, that's our, the After Dark podcast. <laughs> 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 Nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors, our patrons, and our listeners. Join the First Aid Spray Discord server to become, <laughs> become parts of our community and hear the show early and unedited. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. All of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprayPod.com. You can listen to the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcasting apps. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word. Don't forget to support the show by picking up some merch or at patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for as little as one dollar a month 
On our next episode, we start a new club. Sometimes you don't want a novel. After all, where are the pictures? Coming soon to First Aid Spray, Comic Club. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of the Pueblo people individually. I'm at Siniac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB. Steve was taken. Jordan is at Serial Box 64. And James is at Moist Owler OFF. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. Yeah, it's nice for them to tease it so that we can talk about it now and then talk about it again later when they actually show it. That's nice of them. <laughs> they, ju- they just really like the news round on this show. <laughs> and they they want to give content for it. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate it. I mean, if they're listening, yeah, we do want LeBron. Bring him back. Yeah, give us some free DLC codes as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'll take some promo codes, yeah. Uh, and... And 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 uh, a free milkshake. I'm trying to think of other things, other funny things to say, but unfortunately I can't. Right, no, my brain's not on. All right, brain went straight to free milkshake. Well, you know, this is going to get edited out. Hopefully, I don't think it is. But that being said, never get yourself embroiled in a hostage crisis. That's all I'll say, Steve. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, since, since, since we're off off script quickly, right? Why the heck are they still not doing xenomorphs and the the outfits and everything? You got aliens fighting right there. Cross it over, right? It's right yeah. there for you, right? Just just twentieth century studios, whoever it is who's in charge, make it happen. It's the fortieth anniversary of the thing. I want the thing in there personally. But- yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> would work though that would be fantastic it's perfect you, isn't it yeah All right, sorry, you can, anyway. you can make like a mungus or something and have character <laughs> shapeshift <laughs>